Hagel, and you're listening to the Two Friends Watch Podcast. Please enjoy. All right, hello everyone. Welcome back to Two Friends Watch, where two friends watch something and talk about it. I'm Josh. Uh, my co-host is not here with me today because the film we're talking about is kind of a lot. And it's very lengthy and in a deep franchise. So I was like, let's not do that. Let's bring on, you know, an expert in this uh, field, this DC field we got. So with me today is a good buddy of mine from the UK, Cameron. Cameron, how you doing? Hi, uh, yeah, good. That's good, man. Uh, this is your first true podcast, if I could think about it. I know we do our, our Instagram lives, but... This might be your first actual podcast. Uh, yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. Uh, are you Are you nervous about it, or are you just uh, no sweat? No, no sweat. Seems much the same as the lives, really. Yeah, yeah. It It did take me a lot to get used to because it's a it's a different thing, but I I really enjoy it. It's a great way to just sit down, and relax. So, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of like some early banter that I can think of, but I really just want to get into this, you know? All right, let's dive straight in there. All right, so we're talking about this. This is weird. 2017, right? A movie called Justice League comes out, and we all are like, okay, this is very disappointing. We were hearing about production troubles behind the scenes, didn't know the whole situation at that time, and we kind of just, like, shrugged it off, and then... Over the past couple of years, just so much stuff has floodgated. Snyder has dropped so many info about all the stuff that they cut. All the production issues came to light. This huge hashtag release the Snyder Cut movement gained so much traction. It's it's really a unique experience that has never really happened before that I can think of. Like I, The closest thing that I can really think of is the, the Richard Donner cut of uh, Superman 2. Yeah, I don't. I don't really know how big the fan swell was behind that, but this is definitely similar. Right. It's a. It's. It really wouldn't have happened without you know just the rise of social media and just the era that we're in. Like if this situation happened in the nineties, I guarantee we probably wouldn't have seen this ever come to light. No, probably not. Studio and, would have just hushed the whole thing up. Exactly. And then even even then, it's like. This, because of the nature of the project, and it looks really bad from the studio's perspective, it's it's crazy that they even put it out, but with the rise of streaming and HBO Max and them needing content, and also note this was prior to like them announcing that they would drop all their movies for the year on HBO Max. They needed big content for 2021, so they're like, hey, let's dig up this movie that we have a ton of uh, footage from so we don't have to go shoot stuff because it's COVID. And, uh, yeah, that's how kind of the Snyder Cut came to be. It's just a combination of so many different big events, HBO Max, uh, the pandemic, just a bunch of different things that came to this weird amalgamation of a movie. Yeah, I mean, I I really do think that uh, the, the current sort of like coronavirus situation actually played a bigger part than people think, because I think you're right. I think faced with the fact that they couldn't, do any sort of you know big budget filming or anything like that but also faced with the, the the need for revenue and to keep the revenue incoming they probably saw the the snyder cut the executives of warner brothers probably saw the snyder cut sitting there mostly done and thought 
how this is a way that we can you know keep the keep the hype on our streaming services keep the the money flowing in without actually having to do much right it, it reminds me a lot of um last summer how they pulled hamilton from that theatrical release and dropped it on disney plus because that too was a thing that was done it's like hey we don't have to go film this big project and this is a thing that will draw a lot of people to our uh, streaming service so that's i really feel that the virus and the pandemic played the most into this actually getting released yeah i mean i don't want to undervalue like the the effort and the dedication that fans have put in to to, to get this released but Honestly, without the other factors, I don't know if Warner Brothers would have would have said yes because at the end of the day, the studio controls everything. So even if the fans really do clamor for it, uh, the studio retains the you know the ability to just say no. Um, so I think the groundswell of fans was was really important. But I think all the other factors like the new streaming service and the virus and stuff like that, they really do did play a really big part. Hundred percent, dude. It's it's just like. The movement, too, was super important, and the virus, and, you know, our shift to streaming, even, like, prior to the pandemic, that was a thing that was going on. Because HBO Max wasn't, like, a result of the pandemic. That was a thing that was happening regardless. So, you know, who knows? Maybe they would have done it without, but I, I just, I feel like that was the reason, the main reason. Yeah. Totally uh, so agree. this this film... Um, it's called Deter- Zack Snyder's Justice League. Determined to ensure Superman's ultimate sacrifice was not in vain, Bruce Wayne aligns forces of Diana Prince of plans to recruit a team of metahumans to protect the world from an approaching threat of catastrophic proportions. Uh, directed by Zack Snyder. Runtime of four hours. This has got to be, like, the longest film I've watched. You know, that classifies itself as a film. It's, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty big... Big slog through it. I mean, I think uh, the Watchmen Ultimate Cut and some of the extended editions of Lord of the Rings are pretty long, but I think this is the longest sort of single shot thing I've ever seen either. Do you think that... Because I remember a long time ago, he dropped those pictures of, like, the thing in, like, a, a film reel case, and it said, like, the runtime was 2.16, which I think is only, like, three and a half hours. So do you think, like, a lot of this footage was added to pad the runtime to a, a crisp four hours? Or at least, you know, like 20 minutes of it. I think that because he he realized that his film wasn't this film wasn't going to be released, you know, theatrically anymore. Um, I think that gave him sort of more creative freedom to put more into it that he may have left on the cutting room floor, even at, at his own decision, had he, you know, had Warner Brothers not sort of like taking the project over. Um, so I think that, yes, I think that some of it probably was him putting back in scenes that he might have taken out anyway um, to to really sort of get a, a complete picture. And he was able to do that because being on HBO Max, you don't have to fit theater runtimes. Yeah, it's fantastic that there are platforms to do this stuff on because, like, say what you will about the runtime, but it's it's impressive to say the least, you know. Yeah, and, and it also it benefits from the fact that uh, it's, you know, broken up into chapters so that, even with its massive runtime, it doesn't seem so daunting because you can stop after chapter three or something like that and, and go get some food or, or you know, use, use the washroom or something like that. And, and you couldn't do that in a theater, you know, without missing something. Right. I, I got to ask, though, did you watch this in one sitting or was it a, a multi-part, you know, divided by chapters for you? Yeah, so I, I, I sat down about uh, midday on, on the 18th and uh, I think I saw about... 
two hours or something. I think it was up to up to about the end of chapter three or something. And then I, you know, just took a five minute break to get some snacks and, and that sort of thing, and then came back down and watched the rest of it. So yeah, pretty much one go. I I did a more substantial break. I took like a half hour in between the two parts, but I was essentially the same way. It was like a big event on the 18th. Just I planned out my schedules. I could because a four hours film, you have to like plan out some time to watch that thing. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. That was the whole. Um, This one stars Ben Affleck as Batman. Gal Gadot was Wonder Woman. Henry Cavill as Superman. Ray Fisher as Cyborg, Ezra Miller as The Flash, and Jason Momoa as Aquaman. Plus, like, a ton of other people, but those are our mains. The The crazy thing about this, though, is that, like, half these people see, are seemingly done playing the characters now. Where back in 2017, that was most certainly not the case. Yeah, it, it really does unfortunately look like it. Um, like, like Superman and, and, and Cyborg and stuff. It, yeah, it... it it's really unfortunate now because having just seen this, I'm, you know, rehyped to want to see them, see more of them, you know, see the story progress and all that sort of stuff, see what, what else they can do. And then just to be reminded that it looks like, you know, Cavill's hung up the cape and, and, and Cyborg's not going to, not going to be, or sorry, Ray Fisher's not going to play Cyborg uh, anymore. It, it's, yeah, it's really disappointing. Even Ben Affleck is like, it's seeming like it's the flash and then he's done, you know? So it's it's really unfortunate because there was a great team here and under the right circumstances, it could have lasted a long time. Yeah. And honestly, I think that the chemistry between the actors is so much more apparent in this film than it was in, in the 2017 cut. Like, it, it's just so obvious that, that these actors enjoy playing the characters um, and also enjoy working with each other. They bounce off each other so well. Right. Particularly Ezra Miller was working great with everyone. From what I got, you know. Yeah. Uh, last thing before we really start to get into it, I'm going to give you some trivia. It's kind of like a, a staple of the show. So I'm going to just run these by you. Um, in order to keep full creative control and ensure that the fans receive the most benefit from the Snyder Cut, Zack Snyder refused to be paid for finishing his Justice League. That has got to be like the most impressive thing is that he took a $0 paycheck just to ensure that this got made properly. Yeah, I, I saw that a few days ago, and I, I, I've got so much respect for him. Um, and it really does sort of show that, like, this really is – he's doing this because he loved to do it, you know? He's doing this because this was his sort of passion thing. It's not it's not so much just like a di- directorial job or something like that. It really does show that this is a man who loves his craft. This really feels like the magnum opus of his career, you know? Like, regardless of, of how people think about it, it really – that someone came together and was able to like last for five years and continue to post more and more about this film that never got finished and properly done and then now he got the chance to do it with like a 70 million dollar boost and he actually followed through and and just made this product of its time it's like I, i wonder how many people would have like that opportunity to do something like that it's it's just so amazing it's little to none. Actually, most directors usually get screwed over. Like, I, I can imagine we probably won't see the air cut of Suicide Squad, for example. Maybe not. I, I don't... I Now, correct, correct me if I got this wrong, but I don't think that that was filmed as much as Zack Snyder's Justice League was. Yeah, I think some stuff was chopped off. It, that was just way more choppy than Justice League. 
because yeah. of just like the marketing and then because they did that trailer right and then everyone was like responded really well so they made the movie more like that and they just yeah. completely ripped that one apart yeah i don't know if like a cut exists somewhere like uh it did or supposedly did with with the snyder cut according to Zack snyder this film contains no shot filmed by joss whedon that's kind of wild though because when you look at um this the theatrical cut like there's a lot of joss whedon stuff in there and to think that not like a single shot is in there is great but also impressive just like how much footage they cut that he was able to do that and cut all that Joss footage out. Yeah, I, I think it just really just just shows just how complete or how near completion like his cut was before, you know, Joss Whedon was brought in. Because, yeah, to have four hours worth of footage, you know, you, you must have been so close sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it, the whole ratio of how much is Zack Snyder and how much is Joss Whedon. I did not watch the theatrical cut. I ended up not watching it before the, the Snyder cut. But it, I feel like it'd be crazy to watch those back to back and just see how different they are when they're essentially the same film in terms of plot structure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, but can, it's, it's, purged, it's purged the 2017 one from my mind now. So I don't think yeah. I'll ever see it. Uh, confirmed in an interview by Deborah and Zack Snyder, the Snyder cut only has about five minutes of new shot scenes but there are over 2,000 new visual effects shots in the four-hour film. I think that five minutes is like the, the nightmare sequence at the end, right? Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, I'm really not sure which, which bits it is. I, I don't know if we'll ever know. I mean, I, I think I, I saw that there was a, a behind-the-scenes featurette that's going to be dropped on HBO Max soon. Um, but I, I don't know if we'll ever know what, what scenes it actually was. But yeah, it could have been the nightmare stuff. I'm telling you, the day that they drop a full documentary on everything that went wrong, just like the whole the whole thing from 2017 to 2021, the whole story, that'd be like one of the best documentaries and most interesting. Definitely. But I doubt that <laughs> I doubt that it'd be something that Warner Brothers would release. I bet you it'd be some independent thing like on Netflix. Yeah, I it, it would have to be like this big fan project. I can't imagine an official studio getting the green light to to do something like that yeah yeah um the underwater scenes involving atlantis are different than the scenes in aquaman some of the differences are how the fact that the atlanteans are unable to talk underwater normally like in the james wan movie and respond to each other by trilling also mira has a british accent instead of the american accent she uses in aquaman she is also referred to as commander mira instead of princess mira also her parents are revealed to be dead when king nereus is clearly alive in the solo movie and finally, Arthur comments that his mother left him on his father's doorstep as a baby. This is slightly different from the story told in Aquaman, where Arthur is a toddler when Atlanta left him and Thomas Curry to protect them. I think the good thing about the Snyder Cut, I mean, the bad thing is that a lot of them are returning, but the good thing is that not a lot of sequels with these characters were made post that theatrical Justice League besides Aquaman, because we had like Shazam and Birds of Prey, which are very loosely connected to Justice League. Yeah. But the one downside to this is that we had Aquaman, and Aquaman does not really feel like a a complete sequel to this one, just based off the footage I got from the Snyder Cut, especially Mera being British all of a sudden, which is really weird. Yeah, it's uh, I I did think that as I was watching it, seeing them, especially seeing them make those like bubbles, um, so that they could speak uh, underwater, 
saying that, I was like, oh, they didn't have to do that in, in Aquaman. But I think it really does show that even if, you know, James Wan wanted his movie to be, you know, a sequel to, to Snyder's vision, because it wasn't, you know, released at the time, he probably didn't have access to, to everything that was going on in Atlantis. So I think there was bound to be some sort of, even if he was trying to make it a direct sequel, I think it was bound to be some sort of, like, differences between them. But honestly, for me, they're not, like, it's not huge things. I can still watch and enjoy Aquaman as well as I can still watch and enjoy this. And the oh, little inconsistencies right. don't stand out as much. It's just The weird thing was, that, didn't they make her American in the, the theatrical cut? Mira? Yeah, I think, I think, yeah, I think she had American accent. That's so bizarre that it was changed. And I was like, okay. And then just other stuff like how, um, they're calling her commander instead of princess and her parents are like the whole thing of marriage marriage just felt like a completely different character than kind of what we got in aquaman yeah she did and it's, it's also kind of weird because uh that british accent is definitely not amber heard's real accent no no not at all returning for this film and also having reprised the role in the music video for Rick Ross and Skrillex's Purple Lamborghini, Jared Leto was the first actor since Cesar Romero to portray the Joker more than once in live action. It's, it's funny to think of that, uh, given how many, you know, amazing portrayals of the Joker that we have, like, like Heath Ledger and um, Joaquin Phoenix and all that. It's, it's funny that the one that seems to be the most divisive is the one that has that title. Yeah, right? Like, Jack Nicholson never returned, which is weird. And then Hugh Fledger obviously wasn't able to return, and then Joaquin Phoenix just had his movie come out. It's it, it's weird that Jared Leto is, like, the most, you know, most built movie, because he has two instead of one. So he has, like, the most uh, stuff. Besides Cesar Romero, which came out in the 60s. A long time ago. Yeah. And then this one, I, I know you're going to find this one interesting. I'm pretty sure you saw it. But the final, by the way, uh, this is a full spoiler uh, thing. If you didn't understand that by now, everyone, this is completely a whole spoiler-filled podcast. So you want to jump off while you have the chance. But anyways, the final scene of Martian Manhunter was originally supposed to be John Stewart Green Lantern. But Warner Brothers vetoed it because they had plans for the character. I was talking to the people I was watching with. I was like... If Green Lantern shows up at the end of this, I will freak out. And I got so excited for that final scene. But then it ended up being Martian Manhunter, which is still great. But we already knew he was in it. So the fact that they shot a scene with Jon Stewart Green Lantern, but we didn't get to see it because Warner Brothers vetoed it, is so upsetting. Yeah. I, when I saw that, that piece of news, I was just I was so frustrated because that would have been, that would have been amazing. I mean, I love Hal Jordan's Green Lantern, but... You know, watching, growing up watching the, the, the Justice League animated series and, and reading the, the, the Justice League comics now, Jon Stewart is sort of like the, the Green Lantern that's at the forefront. And knowing that we were this close, you know, so close to, to seeing him in live action as part of this film and then, and then not being able to see it, it's, it's so frustrating. Yeah, especially that's how you end the movie with a bang, right? With a, a surprise hero cameo. Because when Zack Snyder teased that, we ended up seeing Martian Manhunter like earlier on in the film in his full form. So it wasn't really a, this huge surprise hero cameo. It was just like a continuation of what we saw before. John Stewart Green Lantern showing up would have been amazing. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't get me wrong. I love seeing Martian Madness. Like, I, I thought it was really cool. I think I thought he looked great um, and all that. But right. yeah, it would have been so. It would have been so cool to have seen uh, Green Lantern, especially John Stewart Green Lantern, who hasn't been on the big screen before, uh, it, like live action. It, it would have been so, so good to see that. Honestly, in the nightmare scene, because I read those um, those plot uh, outlines for Justice League 2 and 3, um, yeah. I thought that what they were going towards, um, what they were moving through the nightmare lands towards was Green Lantern's crash site. And I was actually expecting him to show up there. Um, but I, yeah, obviously that, that didn't happen. And then, then see the scene at the end, I was also hoping that this was going to be a Green Lantern scene and it just didn't turn out to be. Right. So do you think they'll ever release that scene? Cause if, if they shot it, right, like maybe we could see the not, no VFX work on it. Just the scene. Yes. I, I think that we probably will see it, but I think that we'll see it as a, like a deleted scene or a behind the scenes on like a, a DVD or Blu-ray release of the Snyder Cut. Um, and maybe not the one coming right out now, but maybe like a collector's edition or an anniversary edition or something like that. At the very least, I really just want to know who is playing him, right? I've yeah. always fancasted Idris Elba, but there's no way because he's in the Suicide Squad. I just don't know if they were going yeah. to. Yeah, I, I was really wondering that as well. Because, uh, yeah, they said... Like they said, they, they filmed the whole thing. So there was definitely someone there. I'm still pushing for, for John David Washington from Tenet to play Green Lantern. The main that's protagonist really, guy. Yeah, that'd be really cool. Yeah. So do you have a fan cast for Jon Stewart? Uh, probably, no, probably not at the moment. Um, I mean, I think that John David Washington would have been a really good choice. Um, but personally, I, I wouldn't have seen Idris Elba in the role. I think I think John David Washington is a good shout. You wouldn't. I thought Idris Elba would have been would great. I think it would have been okay. Um, I don't know. I've seen a lot of. Uh, yeah, I've been watching a lot of the the Justice League animated series, um, just rewatching and stuff like that. And I don't know. John Stewart there doesn't give me Idris Elba vibes, or rather, Idris Elba doesn't give me John Stewart vibes. So I don't know. He he could have. He's got range, so he could have been good, but uh, we'll never know. I feel you. So let's let's dive into this. I want to get first your context. What has been your experience with the the DCEU so far? And then kind of your experience with the the Snyderverse films, you know, Man of Steel, BVS, kind of like your history with this uh, franchise. Okay, so I'll I'll be brief. (laughs) I mean, uh, I saw Man of Steel in in cinema. Um, I loved it. I thought it was really cool. Uh, I think this 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 was years ago. This was when did that come out? Was it 2013? Yes, 2013. 2013. So yeah, yeah, this was years ago, you know, nearly a decade. Um, And so I was, you know, a lot younger and I just loved it. Um, I I wasn't so much into DC at that point. Like I'd seen, you know, the Dark Knight trilogy and stuff like that, but uh, I hadn't seen any of the original Superman films or anything at that point. And so this was sort of, I think the first time I'd seen Superman on the big screen. Um, And I was like, this is so awesome. and as I was a bit younger, I was less exposed to the divisiveness of the film. And I just remember, you know, me and, and, and my brother and my, my mates just, you know, afterwards talking about how great it was to see Superman and that sort of thing. Um, and then obviously Batman vs Superman was, was the next one to come out. And uh, it was a bit older then. Um, 
and I, I went to see that with my brother and we left the theater and we sort of just looked at each other and we're just like what the hell was that because <laughs> at this point I you know dived a lot more into DC and I, I you know I'd, I'd always been reading comics since I was a kid but uh, I'd read a lot more and I'd, I'd seen a lot more and so I knew what they were trying to do um with Death of Superman, with, you know, The Dark Knight Returns, all those different comics that inspired Batman vs Superman. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just came out of the film with my brother and we were just like, what What the hell did they do? They they, they tried to just cram, you know, four different comic storylines into into one film and it just just felt really messy and, and, and overblown. And, yeah, so I was, I was really not satisfied. Um, and then, uh, what was the next one? Uh, Suicide Squad, wasn't it? Um, yeah. Yeah, and then I remember seeing, I, actually, no, I didn't see Suicide Squad in, in the theatre. Um, I, I remember my brother had a massive poster up his bedroom door of, um, you know, all the cast members sort of thing. But I, for some reason, I didn't, didn't see that one in the theatre. Um, so the first time I saw Suicide Squad was when I'd seen the extended cut, um, which has... I think it's like 13 minutes of extra footage or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's um, not much. No, it's not It's not very much. Um, and prior to that, everyone had told me, oh, it's a really terrible film. It's not worth watching. It's it's The plot's, you know, incomprehensible. So I was pretty disappointed to hear that. Um, but then I watched it anyway. And I think just by chance, um, the, the version that I saw was was the extended cut. And I was like, oh, it's all right. It's not, it's not amazing, but it's not as bad as everyone said. And then... I realized that I'd watched the extended cut and not the theatrical one. And apparently the extended cut adds a little bit more, just a few dialogue scenes that actually help the plot a little bit. Um, so I was lucky in that respect, um, but it wasn't an amazing film. And then I saw the uh, extended cut of Batman with Superman and I was still not a hundred percent happy, but I was a lot happier with that than I was with the theatrical cut. It just felt, yeah. even though it still, you know, tried to do the same, you know, four or five comic storylines that the original film did, it at least gave them a little bit more time to flesh them out. Um, and so while not perfect, I enjoyed it a lot better. Um, and then, of course, what was, what was next? It was straight into Justice League, wasn't it? Uh, we had Wonder Woman first. Oh, yeah, Wonder one. Woman. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Saw Wonder Woman, um, really enjoyed it. Uh, I saw a lot of criticism about Wonder Woman that um, people said that the it was really great up until the third act when it all just became sort of smoke and fire. But for me, that wasn't uh, that wasn't an issue. Um, I thought that you know, yes, the 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 conclusion concluding battle was just a little bit um, of a step down from the rest of the film, but I still felt that overall the film was really impressive. Um, and I really loved um, Godot's performance. Uh, and it, it's funny, I, I spoke to, to my, my mom afterwards um, because she grew up watching the, the old Linda Carter television series. And right. she said that like, this really reminded her of when she was you know, a kid watching Linda Carter as Wonder Woman. And so to have that sort of dynamic, I was like, oh, this must be you know, really good. This must be quintessentially Wonder Woman sort of thing. So I was, I was very impressed. Um, and then we come into Justice League and I'd heard everything, you know, beforehand about how production was, was going badly, how 
um, Zack Snyder had to step aside because of that, the personal tragedy. Um, and so I was a little bit, you know, hesitant, but still hopeful because from all the trailers and stuff we'd seen, I thought, oh, well, this still looks like it could be quite good. And then I came out of that and I tried so hard to find the positives in it. Like I tried so hard to be like, you know, oh, I think, think you know, the parademons looked really cool. It was, it was good to see the league together. It was all that. But it was just really disappointing. Um, and, yeah, I remember talking to, to friends about it. And I, I tried to defend, you know, Steppenwolf, um, his characterization there. <laughs> But uh, yeah, looking back, it's, it's like there was, it's nothing to defend. It was, it wasn't great. Um, and yeah, that was about it. Of course, we had the, the DC films afterwards, but yeah, that's right. The, that's, that's the gist. Possible. Yeah, that's, I, my experience is a little different because, you know, I was at least a couple years younger than you. So I wasn't huge into to films yet or going to see stuff or. You know, I was I was like a kid just going to school and, you know, coming home and watching like Cartoon Network and, and stuff like that. So Man of Steel kind of just came came and went. I probably watched it, thought it was fine. Like, that's not really a film made for younger audiences, though, is it? It's it's very introspective and high concept take on Superman. And always when I rewatch it, I'm like, this is really not a, a general audience film at all. No. Uh, on right. Yeah, on reflection, it's 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 not right so but i mean over over the years i've i've come to really appreciate it as much as i prefer you know for example hecklin superman on the cw is doing fantastic right now on his show and i love that hopeful optimistic superman even when there are darker moments but i do think it's interesting that we get a superman that's like a, a jesus archetype type elseworlds thing that it feels like I'll get into it more when we dive into like the film itself and how I feel about Heckling or Cavill Superman, but that's kind of it's it's like this weird oddity that I enjoy, but it's also not my favorite interpretation of the character. Right. And and then moving into BVS is like another one that I missed. And then I ended up getting like the Ultimate Edition super big Blu-ray thing. I think it was expen more expensive too because the Ultimate Edition was so much longer. It's like a half hour mm. longer. And Remember rewatching that or watching that for the first time? I watched the Ultimate Edition for the first time, and I probably because it's it's really long, and I was I don't know I was probably like fourteen, thirteen, twelve, I don't know around there, and you know it's not again not a a general audience film. It's a very high concept, but also they smash like a ton of stuff in there. It, it's really it's such a bizarre film, Batman vs Superman, because it's like. A complete bridge film right between man of steel and justice league so it does not stand on its own at all but it it's just fascinating to see all the stuff that he went for and whether he succeeds or doesn't it, it's just i love that it exists sometimes and every time i rewatch it i just like it a little bit more i actually have become a fan now of bvs where i wasn't before it, it's mm. wild the the thing i've been on with that one it man i could go all on about bbs and just the the weirdness of that film and how it came to be but anyways suicide squad was was whatever i that's my least favorite i actually hate that movie i really think it's very poorly done maybe that's because of the studio interference 
maybe it's just because I've watched David Ayer's other films. And I don't like a lot of them either. Like he, not a director I'm a big fan of, but it's just not, not a thing for me. I think it's really bad, to be honest. Mm. And then Wonder Woman was the first one since Wonder Woman. I've seen like everything in theaters and I was a big fan. But Wonder Woman saw that one a day early or something because we went to the special screening. It was fantastic. Oh. I, I love that one. It was really the thing that got me into the franchise. And then Justice League I saw in November, I remember. And it was just kind of a casual thing. And I liked it at the time because I was a kid. And, you know, Justice League is the theatrical cut is, you know, something you can watch as a, a younger person and be like, OK, yeah, I, this is fine. But then also that's one that every time I've rewatched it, I've only rewatched it like twice, though. It's it's been something that I've I've grown to dislike more and more, especially knowing that there was another thing, a better version that existed. But just another big thing with my connection to the franchise was just uh, how accessible it was, because this was I know Netflix was around for a lot of people, but it wasn't around for me and streaming stuff wasn't around until like. 2018 2019 was when i started getting into that stuff so because marvel physical media was so expensive and stuff the dc ones were always like under 10 bucks because you know yeah. a lot of them were like suicide squad level to people and so i just started picking them up and rewatching them and really you know getting attached to dc and the franchise especially cw also was like a big gateway into the dc and that's how i've grown to love it more than marvel that's why i have a dc uh, fan account not a marvel fan account because of just the the connection so as much as i have gripes with the universe and stuff and i feel like it's a complete mess with how they set it up i still really appreciate having it because it, it really drew me in along with the the cw stuff into my love for superheroes and comic books and stuff yeah and I've, now they're the, the same universe after crisis and infinite earth yeah i have my own issues with that but also it's fun it's it's weird. Yeah, I feel like if I went back to, to my 12-year-old self and just explained everything that was going on these days with Marvel and DC, I mean, he would have been really confused, but also kind of mind-blown with just how much we've we've come, especially into the mainstream. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, it's I never thought we'd see something like, like Crisis on Infinite Earths or anything like that on TV, because I used to read some comics, uh, and I used to just be like, this is unfilmable uh and then look 2020 they they filmed it so it wasn't even a it wasn't even a film though it, on tv they did crisis on infinite earths that that's mind-blowing on network television not even streaming television on network television they pulled off like the biggest crossover in dc history and i they messed it up a lot because it's network television and they tried to do <laughs> the biggest crossover in dc history but it's also like they have the balls to do that, and I respect them for it. Yeah, definitely. You've got to respect that ambition. Exactly. Um, that's kind of my my also my thoughts of Zack Snyder. I've watched uh, all his movies now, and everything is just ambitious. Even if I don't love it, it's all just very him. It's it's so he's so distinct, but also very like an acquired taste. But I, I'll I, I'll get into this. Uh, wait, sorry, you say something. Oh, no, I just, I was just agreeing, yeah. Right. Uh, I'll get into this. I'll stop rambling about the DCEU. Um, let's start with you. You were very high on this from what you told me initially. So what's your take on Zack Snyder's Justice League before we dive into it? Just your brief overview. Yeah, absolutely loved it. 
uh, for me, it's a 10 out of 10. Um, I have seen every single one of the DC live action movies. And I've, I mean, I've also seen every single one of the, the Marvel live action movies, not just the MCU, all of them. And hold up, hold up. Have you seen, have you seen Steel from 1997 starring Shaquille O'Neal? I have indeed. What an amazing my, film. My guy, you, that is impressive. I have not yeah. yet. Uh, so, yeah, no, I've, I've seen Steel, I've seen Catwoman, I've seen Swamp Thing 2, I've seen the whole lot. Um, wow. And yeah. I have to say, Zack Snyder's Justice League, I've seen, I've seen it twice now. Um, it is my personal favorite out of all the DC live-action movies. It is my personal favorite. And you're not even, from what I can collect, you're not even a huge fan of the previous Snyderverse two films, right? Man of Steel and BVS. I know you like Man of Steel, but from what I yeah, got, I, you weren't a huge fan of them. Yeah, exactly. I, I, liked, I liked Man of Steel. I was probably probably give Man of Steel about a 7 out of 10 or something like that. But uh, Batman vs. Superman, the theatrical cut, I didn't like. Um, the extended cut, I, I thought was, you know, I thought that was that was better. So I'd probably give that about like a six and a half or something. But um, the this 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 Zack Snyder's Justice League, 10 out of 10. It, I was blown away by it. That's great. Um, I, I loved it. I thought it was great. I am not at that level that you are just because maybe it's just like the the nature of Zack Snyder and it, it no matter what he does everything feels just slightly inaccessible to me but it's it's wild that we I appreciate that this film exists I still think I have a little bit of issues with some stuff that he did just like little choices but you know it's just I I love that we have a finally have a good Justice League movie like this is something that I've always wanted because we had Avengers populate in the mainstream and everyone always hated on DC, especially after their team up movie went terrible. And I was like, no, there's something special here and it just needs to be filmed. Right. And this is, this is what I mean. I'm just going to have to stop you just there. I can just see that uh, I need to get the door. Um, I'll just be two seconds. All right. Okay. We're back. Uh, Cam, I forgot what thread you were going down in terms of your thoughts. Ah uh, yeah, sorry. No, you were just um, you were just talking about uh, the Avengers um, and oh uh, yeah, yeah, how special the Justice League can be if properly done right, and that's that's what I feel like this is to me. It's not the most perfect thing for me, but it, it's it's what I needed as someone who's always appreciated the Justice League and wanted to see them on the big screen for the longest time. I know it's not the big screen, but you know what I mean. Yeah, it it pretty much is. I mean, yeah, this is not like it's very much not, you know, the Justice League from the the two thousand and four series. But just to be able to see that team that has meant you know so much to me growing up on the screen was it was just such a dream come true. Yeah, and man, it's it's also just. I love that that a project like this can exist. I hate the circumstances of how it happened, of course, but just the fact that we can give directors this much creative freedom and just let them make this thing. And like here's seventy million dollars to go finish up VFX and and release this thing. It's it's I love it. Definitely. And it, it yeah, it is. I mean, having seen all the DC films, it has been a very sort of up and down 
dried since since you know the the the, the black and white Superman shorts in the fifties. We've had some some really good films like uh, the seventy eight Superman and some really bad films like Superman three and four and and all that and some sort of forgettable ones like Catwoman and and now we have this 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 four hour sort of beautifully shot director's vision. Yeah, yeah. So where do you where do you want to start? Do you want to go into chapters or, or characters or what would be something you want to dive into first that you'd like love to talk about? Um, I think probably the best approach would would probably be uh, like from a sort of chapters approach. So we could just tackle it like that and, and talk about the characters as we go. I have to I'd have to look up the chapters. I think I can find them really quick. But I, it doesn't it starts with the prologue, which is kind of the um the setup to it. And this really does feel like the direct sequel to VVS that Justice League never did. And you can just tell by the opening. Like the opening of Justice League feels nothing like a continuation of BVS, complete like in tone or story. It just feels like this weird, loose follow-up, even though it's supposed to be a direct sequel. And that's probably the most appreciative thing, is that I did not like Man uh, BVS until I knew that we were getting an actual sequel to it, and that it wasn't this weird bridge thing that never had an ending. But now that it does, I appreciate it a lot more. I think, yeah, I think what you said earlier about how this is, sorry, um, Batman vs Superman is definitely a, a bridge film. I, you said that, and I completely agree with that, um, because that is just the best way to sort of see Batman vs Superman, especially now that we have the opening shots of Justice League, which are set, you know, in the end of Batman vs Superman. Yeah, yeah, it's even... Just the, the tonal differences of having the really terrible phone video recording of Superman with the CGI mustache that looks absolutely horrendous compared to, like, this really cinematic um, shot of Superman's scream echoing across the, the globe. And even with the, the cheesiness of it all, with, like, his scream causing these giant sound waves going out, I think visually it really displays the the powerfulness of of his death in a way that the theatrical cut never could. Yeah, definitely. Do you have any other big things on the prologue? I'm trying to think of what else was really in there, but I think it was just the Superman's death scene. Yeah, it was Superman there sort of dying, um, and then the waves sort of like reaching out. They split open the, the Amazon's mother box, um and uh you got to see the inside of that i'm not sure what the right word is temple shrine where the amazons have put the mother box um and seeing them all sort of like react in unison as the as the box opened that was that's always cool to see um and yeah then then i think it just goes straight into into batman um sort of crossing this mountain before we get the chapter one title card yeah, that's called part one, don't count on it, Batman. And there's a lot of this. You you watched this twice, right? You watched this very recently? Yeah. Would you mind giving like brief overviews of these parts just because I'm a little fuzzy? I, I get the, I know the general gist of everything that's the, and all the scenes, but I do not remember what specifically was in each part. Okay, so yeah, so for, for part one, um it picks up 
exactly where the prologue's left off. And Bruce Wayne, as as Bruce Wayne, not as Batman, is going down into the fishing village um, to search for uh, Aquaman. Um, he has a little encounter with the um, with the people in that village, and then it it sort of like cuts in. And Hippolyta is um, has come to investigate this crack in the mother box um, that they're guarding, and then. Steppenwolf comes and uh and 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 takes it yeah yeah it's the, even both of those scenes i do feel like you could chop some stuff off this whole aquaman storyline i feel like we didn't need everything with the nordic villagers and their weird uh you know song thing the religion like that was weird wasn't it it was um yeah it was it was an approach that I don't think I've ever seen before with Aquaman. Um, and it's, it's really funny because it, it ties into what you said earlier about how throughout the movie, there's these comparisons between various characters and various sort of like elements of, of religious mythology mm-hmm. and this sort of uh, an, uh, an aspect or a take on Aquaman that sort of reifies him as like this pseudo mythological figure um and to like the Poseidon or something exactly and to the small i think it's iceland to the small icelandic town um he's basically like a benevolent god to them um because he comes he brings them food and stuff when they can't get it elsewhere and mm-hmm. so to see that sort of take on aquaman is is sort of brand new like i said i've never been exposed to anything like that before but i actually enjoyed it i I was open to seeing an interpretation of every one of these characters where they are almost sort of like deities in their own rights. I was, I was open to seeing that. Yeah. That, I, the thing with the, the thing, the um, added scenes, like every scene feels like it's, it's added to, right. And improved. But at the same time, I still feel like you could cut stuff out like a good 20 to 30 minutes and it could you could generally get the same gist and the same feel of the film and maybe that's just me but i don't know if it necessitated a four-hour runtime when i feel like some stuff could have been cut out but nothing here besides the the heroes park scene which i'll get into later feels like a a bad scene yeah i mean i you, you i think you're probably right i think you probably could you know go through this and and chop bits of it out um and still have the same gist and i suspect if this film was you know like released in cinemas snyder would have done that he would have gone through and he would have you know picked out the the bits that were a little more um gratuitous and and just cut it down a little bit but knowing like going into it knowing that it was a four-hour cut i was fully prepared to see you know gratuitous uh, scenes, scenes that are, you know, lush, scenes that uh, f- fully encompass, you know, like the whole breadth of emotion that is that is portrayed throughout the whole film. I, I was ready to see that. So I think it was I, like the, the approach yeah, that I you feel take you. to it. I, I feel you completely. You have to be in the right. That's, that's another thing. You have to be in the right mindset to if you want to, for example, watch this all in one sitting. You have to. Yeah. You, I mean, even when it's just like physically making time. You have to really be in the right mindset to watch this. But if you are, and I, I still love this. I thought it was great. It, it really works. It really works. Yeah. 
And then you said the Amazon scene with Steppenwolf was in this part too. Uh, yeah, I think um, before I think just before that is the the Wonder Woman bank scene. Oh, the Wonder Woman bank scene. I actually thought the theatrical cut scene of that one is still pretty good. That's like one of the best fight scenes in the theatrical cut. The bank scene. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't think that this one, like content wise, I don't think that this scene differs that much. However, I think that there are big differences in, in the music that was used, um, one or two of the lines, and also the sort of like the, 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 the tone that was put over the whole thing has changed. But I think most of the action sequences are almost the same as they were in the theatrical cut. Yeah, the, the only thing I could really... It, was she like sped up fighting people in the theatrical cut, or was it more of just the, the warrior method? Because in this one, she's like zooming around, hitting people up. Yeah, I think that was I think that was faster. But the scene where she stops all the bullets in front of the the school children and stuff like that, I think that was the same as it was in the theatrical cut. All right. So there's nothing inherently wrong with this one. I or fantastic that really improved from the theatrical cut. This did feel like the same thing, but it is a very good fight scene and really establishes Diana early on in the film really well. Yeah, I think the ending is different. I think. In the theatrical, she throws the um, bomb up but doesn't follow it up. And I think in, in this one, she flies up the roof with it. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's... She, she didn't... Yeah, because she didn't fly prior to Wonder Woman 1984. And so that's why people originally were like, well, how come she flies in Wonder Woman 1984 but she doesn't fly in Justice League? But now we see in Zack Snyder's Justice League, she actually does fly. Yeah. So that, yeah. that's that's one of the things where I was like, this is cool. I, I like how they they kept that. And it's weird. That's like the start of stuff. It's like Warner Brothers. Why were you cutting this stuff? Or Joss yeah. Whedon or whoever did it. What what what's the benefit of cutting Wonder Woman flying up? Yeah, exactly. It's they must have had their view of what they wanted to do with the characters, and it just didn't align with with what Zack Snyder was doing with them. But it is really a shame because flight is one of Wonder Woman's powers. So not seeing that is is kind of weird. Yeah, the only thing I could really think of is that um, just the objectification of Wonder Woman and the, the theatrical cut. Without getting really too deep into Joss Whedon's past, he's not fantastic with, with making female characters work really well. And I think after Black Widow and Age of Ultron was kind of just reduced to you know a love interest character and mm. taken away so much from from what she is they did the same to wonder woman in the theatrical cut and just little things like taking away her power of flight i guess says a lot yeah i mean obviously i i don't know if that was like a joss whedon decision but you're right he hasn't he doesn't have a good track record of of dealing with 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 women in real life and also with dealing with female characters um and it's it's a shame because i growing up i i watched uh buffy the vampire slayer um which is which is by him and i thought that buffy was really really cool but um watching back some of those old episodes you can even see in those there's this weird sort of or often there's this weird sort of objectification of other um, female characters in that. And then 
knowing what we know about Joss Whedon outside of his, his filmmaking um, and then seeing his version of Justice League with those weird scenes where like the one with the flash fell on top of him, uh, sorry, fell on top of her. Um, and it was just awkward. It's, it's, it's just sort of weird to see that. And it's, it's not what I want to see because Wonder Woman is supposed to be, you know, this majorly powerful, um, supremely compassionate sort of like, almost like a, a god pretty much not eye candy it's it's quite gross especially after coming off what was just a fantastic and groundbreaking solo film back in the day with uh patty jenkins wonder woman to see her get that treatment and follow up was was really disheartening and i think it's also just like well i'm not going to get too sidetracked into to joss whedon because i don't really have much respect these days for the for the guy but with with a lot of filmmakers that have like these really troubled pasts and problems with uh well problems turn into you know assault and allegations and all that but you know what i mean uh yeah stuff like are you familiar with brett ratner the director of the x-men films or brian singer uh, sorry. brian singer he did he did uh the original x-men films didn't he he did like Days of Future Pass and a few of the original X. I think the original X Men trilogy. But yeah, anyways, I, when you watch back those X Men films with uh, Brian Singer, you don't feel yeah. his uh, like his prop his like very really bad problems behind the scenes. I don't feel that on camera with Joss Whedon stuff. I do. I, I feel like both in front of and behind the screen, he cannot handle, uh, you know, his his problems. And it it sucks to see, but thankfully this one really restored a lot of good faith I had in Wonder Woman. Exactly, yeah. I mean, Patty Jenkins' um, Wonder Woman, the the original Wonder Woman film um, in World War One, really sort of showed this amazing sort of vision of of who Wonder Woman really is. Um, and then to see in the twenty seventeen cut, or her just being the butt of a whole lot of like weirdly sexual jokes and also there was that weird scene where 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 alfred and bruce are in the plane i think talking about like going on a date with her or something like that it was just yeah it just yep. felt really weird and then in this film seeing her as like a, a fully well-rounded character that is her own thing and not just you know the object of whatever the, the male gaze or something like that is just so refreshing because it's it's wonder woman like this is not she's not a bond girl or something it, yeah you have to understand what character you're dealing with it, exactly a bond girl is completely different you either write a character as a love interest or you write her as a strong female character or just a strong character in general and then, and this one really brought back Wonder Woman is at, on the same level of Superman at times, if not just like directly below him. She is that powerful, and she is like this beacon of uh, hope. And this one really just yeah. just brought that back for me. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think you can can write you know a strong female character who is also a love interest at the same time. But I wouldn't have even described how you know Whedon was doing it as sort of like. A love interest. It was more of like you know leering at her, you know. Oh yeah, it was. I I gave it too much credit. It was it was worse. Also, I just yeah. I, I love that. I, I I've lessened on Wonder Woman 1984. The more I've sat on it, 
I, I feel like this is a much better follow-up to Wonder Woman than Wonder Woman 1984 was in terms of the character. Yeah, she's she's a team leader here. She's she's incredibly competent. She's incredibly capable. She's just you know at the pinnacle of of of, of her power. Yep. And then the last little bit was the Amazon Steppenwolf fight scene. I do not remember the theatrical cut, which says a lot about that interpretation of the scene. But this scene was one of my favorites of the entire like first half when I first watched it. I love this scene. Steppenwolf comes in and is just absolutely wrecks and dominates this this whole fight. And I love it. I love the Amazons all banded together. I love the horse chase scene. I love that giant ass building falling down and then steppenwolf just coming out of it unscathed everything worked here really well and it's one of my favorite fight scenes in the film yeah this was i mean the theatrical version of the scene is so much shorter and this was just this was wonderful this this was basically like a, a much much more extended version of that scene and it was just so great to see and of course this is the first time we see steppenwolf um and his first lines when he arrives is not some, you know, mad, mad titan, power, claim, conqueror, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. He, he arrives and he sees the Amazons arrayed around him. And in almost a voice that's almost sort of resigned, he just says, defenders, they always fail. He's not like gloating. He's just, you know, stating it. And it really does show that this is a, this is a guy who's, who really has conquered 100,000 worlds. And at this point, he's not doing it for fun. He has to do it because Darkseid's making him do it. Um, and it really does show that this whole different character to what he was in the 2017 cut. This is a Steppenwolf that is tired, um, a Steppenwolf that is incredibly powerful, but also nothing compared to his master Darkseid. He's almost like a middle management guy who's just doing his job. Um, I, I want to get into Steppenwolf here a little bit. Both versions of the character are essentially like Darkseid's his pimp, right? Complete control over Steppenwolf, which is crazy because Steppenwolf is Darkseid's uncle, right? Yeah. I'm not too off base there. And he's being dominated by his nephew. And it's... uh, The power struggle there is fantastic. But the difference here is that in the theatrical cut, Steppenwolf's like a wimp. He is not intimidating at all. And even just towards the end where he just gets... Basically, in the end of the theatrical, from what I remember, correct me if I'm wrong, Superman just comes at the end of it, or Steppenwolf up, and like he doesn't even stand a chance. But in this cut, he's always like at least on the same level as as whoever he's fighting, and I love it. Yeah, he's he's able to take on in in later chapters. He's able to take on the the whole league pretty much without without Superman um, and, and hold his own. Um, but this is also a Steppenwolf who is, like I said, he is, he's, he's incredibly powerful, but he's also not, he doesn't sort of gloat about how powerful he is. He acknowledges in one scene, I think it's a fight on the bridge a little bit later on. He acknowledges that Wonder Woman could have prevented him from slaughtering the Amazons. He even says, he's, he's just like, yeah, you're, you know, you're super powerful. You could have stopped me, but you didn't. Yeah. Um, so this is a yeah, this is a Steppenwolf who knows how powerful he is um, and and lives up to that, but also knows where his you know is is 
enough of a fleshed out character to sort of respect who he's fighting. Right. It's he he could have easily in this cut as well been like just a a world dominator bland villain. And there are there are aspects I could see if someone could argue that. I'd be like, yeah, he might feel a little on the nose with just like I need to conquer the world again because uh, I can and power. And like, I, I get that. But also, I just, I think he, he works a lot. Maybe it's the Arnhin's voice. Maybe it's the, the super dope design, the new design that works so much better. I just, I feel like he was a good middleman to Darkseid as an antagonist. Yeah. Um, was, also, was, oh, sorry, go oh, ahead. Yeah. Sorry, I was moving no, on. But... It was something in the um, in the theatrical cut because obviously Darkseid's not even there. Um, can't even remember if he was mentioned in the theatrical cut. Um, but here, it's it is very clear that Darkseid is pretty much breathing down his neck, sort of thing. Um, really, he's 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 making him do exactly what he's doing, and you see that in the in the scene where he speaks to Darkseid, where he fully takes off all his armor, sort of thing, and 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 gets right down on the ground before him. He's he's deeply afraid of Darkseid. Uh and, yeah. and that's really appealing. They they do Darkseid great. And I we'll get into that in the other parts. But uh I wanted to say as well, like from what I can recollect, um this design of Steppenwolf wasn't done by the time Zack Snyder left the project. Like yeah. this wasn't a thing. And then so they had the I understand why they, they had this weird design. It's just like, how do you, man? The the one you actually went with is so much worse than this. Yeah, which is it's funny that you know we think that because I mean, Steppenwolf in the comics is basically just a man wearing armor, um, but this just looks so much better. <laughs> I I do think it could have been. I like the the colored scheme in the original or the comics design. The red, yeah. Right. Um. So that's that's all for part one. I'm going to uh, stop this recording real quick to take a like one minute break before we start up again. That's good with you. Yeah. Okay, we'll be back one second. Okay, and we're back. Uh, we just finished part one, and we're gonna dive into part two. I feel like this is a good structure to to really get into it. But uh, could you give us a kind of brief overview, if you remember, of part two called the Age of Heroes? I believe this was very focused on the history lesson and stuff. Yeah, so this is um, this sort of starts off um, and it follows the Wonder Woman uh, as as Diana Prince. Um, it's got that same scene from the theatrical cut of her in the Louvre, um, and the the Amazons have have sent out um, their beacon to the Temple of Artemis. They've lit that fire from the arrow. And Diana basically turns up and investigates and she finds, you know, those murals of Darkseid. And uh, she also ends up going to visit Bruce Wayne and they basically discuss, or rather she she tells him about how it was before when Darkseid first arrived. And we have that massive scene of, of that first battle. Right. And there's also Aquaman's, like, introduction thing. I think he goes underneath in this section of Willem Dafoe yeah. or is that part three? Yeah, no, that's in, that's in this one. Um, and Willem Dafoe's um, Volko comes up and offers him the, the trident and the armor. Wait, where does this part end? Is the history lesson the last thing? Yeah, history lesson's the last bit. Okay, so the Aquaman part is before. All right. 
so those are like three big parts okay um the diana's part in the louvre is is fine it's it's the same as the theatrical it's not really memorable i don't have much to say on that part no uh so i guess aquaman's introduction i really like the song they got i think it's like a new song that they they wrote for this film from what i could collect yeah i think the whole well the whole scene is new isn't it the I distinctly remember the shot of Aquaman being engulfed by the waves as part of like the marketing originally, but I think oh, they yeah. cut that scene from the original. The yeah, theatrical. You're right. But I, I do remember that shot very viscerally being a big part of Aquaman in the trailers. But yeah, there's this is the part where I start to um question. I I I get that he likes it. But Zack Snyder's use of slow-mo is very excessive. And this film is, like, the thesis of that. There is so much slow-mo in this movie. Yeah, I mean, his interpretation of the Flash running, um, and the, or the Flash in the Speed Force, um, uses slow motion all the time to show, you know, the Flash moving fast and everyone else moving slow. And, and I get that. But, yeah, you're right. There is a, there is a lot of, of gratuitous slow motion throughout the film. Um, I was fine with it. Uh, I thought it helped bring sort of like a, almost like an epicness to what was going on. But I could definitely see how people would see that and be like, oh, wow, another slow motion. Yeah, I feel like the Aquaman scene was the first one. I was like, okay, um, this is a very, very uh, drawn out introduction. It is cool. I like it. But it's it's like, it's really a pad in the runtime here, Zach. But I, I do not have any problems with it. And the Volko stuff is also very good. Am I sure that's in this part? Because I thought Steppenwolf attacked in that part. No, oh no, he doesn't attack in that part. No, um, Aquaman goes underwater first. So after he jumps off the, the end of the pier with the water crashing around, he goes down to King Atlan's sort of monument. Um, and Volko turns up and says, you basically got to, you know, come back to Atlantis and, you know, stop throwing off your responsibility. Um, and it's... It's a little bit later that um, Mera and the Atlanteans are attacked. Really shows how impressive this um, this uh, cast list is, though. When you can get Willem Dafoe to show up for like a, a five minute scene. Yeah, yeah, he's only in it in two places. Right. It, it's 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 crazy how big this cast. I looked at it just on HBO Max and other stuff. I was like, this cast list is so huge and so many big stars now that. I, have just blown up since the 2017. It's great to see. And I like it. I don't know. uh, Volko's design was a little different too, and I I dug that as well. He wasn't in the theatrical from what I remember. Didn't they cut him? Yeah, they cut him completely. Yeah, why? Man, every every scene, dude, I'm like, why why do you cut this WB? And it all just, I feel like it came down to that two-hour mandate, and I'm just like not knowing what to chop. So they just started cutting stuff up. Yeah, I think so. I think that's probably right. And then the big part here is just this history lesson. I think this is maybe one of the best scenes, if not the best scene in the film. It's like this huge, very cinematic interpretation. Dark side comes in. He just like slams down and wrecks the shit out of everyone. And there's like Zeus and Ares and a Green Lantern and like all the Amazons and all the Atlanteans. It felt like Lord of the Rings, but with like a DC twist on it, and I loved it so much. Yeah, it was it was amazing to see that, and say saying the Greek gods. Um, I think that even was 
uh, David um, Thulis as Ares there. Um, yes, it says in the cast it, list. Yeah, so I even add him there just to just to do that. You don't, I don't think he didn't even have any lines. Um, and so seeing that that massive battle and, and Dark Side in front of his war machines and all that, it was just it was really cinematic, and it really was like that that scene from from Fellowship of the Ring. Um, and it was, yeah, I loved seeing it. And I also loved seeing Darkseid slamming his, his mace into the ground and and having that, what I can only assume was the anti-life equation, sort of out and fire on the ground. Darkseid is so freaking intimidating in this movie. And I wish, I understand he was never designed to be this huge fixture, but I want to see more of him so bad. And that will mm. probably lead into me wanting to see the sequels, which I'll get into later. But this interpretation of Darkseid is the Darkseid that I want. On the same power level, on the same threat level, it is everything I wanted. And Ray Porter's voice is also just fantastic. Uh, yeah, he did a he did a really good job. I mean, it's it's something that if you're doing the Justice League, because Darkseid is the arch enemy of the Justice League, you just have to get it right. And I think Zack Snyder did. I think he he nailed it. Yeah, uh, it, it also just it looks fantastic. I think it's in like a IMAX ratio, but also in the four three. It just it looks really great for in this weird ratio that we're in with this film. Yeah. Um, yeah. the thing I gotta ask is, do you remember the original? If there was a uh, history lesson in the theatrical because i know they excised dark side completely from that movie so i don't even remember what the original scene was yeah they did have a history lesson but it was steppenwolf who was there oh god um, uh. not dark that makes me so i guess you can't because it's just vfx work but man what what a waste of a character why would you do that that doesn't like i get cutting the scene if you needed to get that two-hour mandate but why would you change the the character I, they they were so skirmish of dark or with dark side and I don't understand it, it baffles me it was it was probably because they didn't want people asking excuse me lots of questions about like who this character was and why we didn't see him again sort of thing but I'm so glad we actually get to see dark side doing it um because he's just and we get to see Ares as the one that cuts cuts into dark side and forces him to retreat um which was you know really really good to see as well but I think the the thing that they nailed the most about this scene was Darkseid as a younger man or younger being. Because mm. at this point, he's not, you know, the Darkseid that, that that people know as, you know, the arch enemy of the Justice League. At this point, he's just a young sort of conqueror, conquering what he thinks is a backwater planet. Um, and then he, you know, gets his ass kicked. Uh, and seeing the difference between that and then what we see of him later on in the film I, it's just such a great juxtaposition. And even the thing, like, he, yeah, he does get his, uh, his ass kicked in this movie, but in the history lesson, but, like, he's still so intimidating in the way that yeah. Steppenwolf never can. Like, he is just on another level. And um, even, like, I don't really think the design is super stellar. I, I think it does look like Darkseid, but it's not, like, something I'm, I'm raving over. But it's still it's just really imposing and great. It doesn't look like CGI Xbox PS2 game graphics. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So that, that's all 
I can really think of for part two. I, I've heard complaints that there's like a lot of exposition that's kind of unnatural. Like maybe stuff like this history lesson doesn't really flow. What would be your response to that? Because I don't really agree with it. Yeah, I don't really agree with it either. I mean, I think there's, it, it is exposition because um, Diana is telling Bruce what happened. But I think that there's nothing inherently wrong with, with some exposition. I mean, if there is too much, then that can be a problem. But I didn't feel like there was too much here. I felt like it flowed, Diana telling the story flowed into actually seeing the story and then flowed back out again into her telling the story. I thought it worked fine. Right. I I had no complaints with expo- expository uh, too much of it. I thought, like, you have to know what you're getting in for again. That's the most important reiteration. You have to understand what this is before you can really appreciate it. Mm. Like, yeah. It's not a casual watch at all. Which is great, but also a little uh, isolating. So if that's all I have to say about part two, you want to get in, let's get into part three, Beloved Mother, Beloved Son. And I believe this was the part that really introduced us to like Flash and, and Cyborg and stuff. But uh, why yeah. don't you give us a brief overview? Yeah, so this is um, this has got the the all those bits that we knew were existed, um, but we didn't see in the theatrical cut of Cyborg playing football, um, interacting with his mom, the accident, uh, and then then getting transformed into a cyborg. We see the relation with his father, um, the strained relation with his father, and then we also see that wonderful scene um, of uh, the Flash saving Iris uh, from the <laughs> car crash, and those were the most. Um, th- there are other aspects to this chapter such as um the team uh or or batman recruiting flash into the team um but those are the biggest bits of this chapter yeah it's it's man they cut every time i know i'm trying not to focus too much on the justice league uh theatrical cut but since it is you know a director's cut i do have to make comparisons it's it's necessary why would you cut all these things that really flush out the characters the very iris scene is great it's really comedic but also heartfelt and yeah really it's like dives a lot into the character and i'm not one that's really a huge fan of this interpretation of barry in the terms of like he's a wisecracking youngster that's like kind of a a womanizer type thing he doesn't really feel like the barry allen that i've come to know from either the comics or the cw flash series so this doesn't, this yeah. feels, people said it feels more like Wally West. I was just about to say that. Yeah, it feels like Wally West. Yeah, so I, I've not been a huge fan of this interpretation of Barry Allen, but he does have a lot of standout scenes in this movie. Mm. Uh, what's I your, think, what's your take on the flash? I, yeah, I, like you, this is not, um, for me, it, it doesn't feel like Barry Allen either. Feel, it does feel it does feel like Wally West, um, but I also thought it worked for this film um, because if we didn't have that, this would be a very sort of heavy, very serious, um, weighty film. And having Barry's levity, like the jo- the joke about you know always keeping you know a sausage in his pocket sort of thing when he goes to see dogs and all that sort of stuff, and and having mm-hmm. the sort of like the light heartedness including his his later scene where he jokes that they're going to save it through the power of love before, you know, switching to how they're actually going to save it. 
I actually appreciated that because it added a, a dimension that the film would otherwise have been missing. Yeah, I he does add a lot of humor. I, I There are jokes here, though, that definitely do not land for me because a lot of it's like awkward humor. The type of humor where like someone says something that's perceived as awkward. And so the joke is that like no one responds well or like laughs or anything. So that's like the joke that he says something that's like he thinks is funny, but no one actually laughs. So that's, you know, what I'm talking about that type of humor. I know what you're talking about. That doesn't always work for me because of the nature of how it's set up. And so I did feel that sometimes with his uh, jokes here and there. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, it didn't, it didn't like feel like that to me, but I could, I could definitely see that. Right. But there's I really don't have any huge complaints. I really loved a lot, especially the Iris scene. I just thought it worked so well for what it was. And that's actually a use of slow-mo that I thought was really well done. But yeah, um, that was was really great. Seeing him smash the glass with his finger and then like jump right through, and then seeing him moving as a normal person while everything else is is slowed down. That was just such a such a great way to to demonstrate that. Yeah, it was his own like Quicksilver moment that got popularized by uh, the X Men films, and it is it really works. And the only thing I would have changed in retrospect, but this would have had to been a decision made a long time ago was to make him Wally West because that way you could have differentiated him from the CW version as well as, you know, fit more with the character. But I understand wanting to go with Barry Allen for the name recognition and just the, the mother father story of it all. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think it would have been a little bit more than just a name change to, to change this to Wally West. Cause you'd have to get rid of the whole story with his father in exactly. prison. And, and the iris bits and stuff like that. So I, I, while I think that this is probably very much the characterization of Wally West, I think it's it's okay in the context of this movie to be Barry Allen. Yeah, I'll just have to see how I feel about him going into his solo film next year. This is if yeah. the solo film comes out. I, I don't know how I'm going to feel about the character post-Justice League, but I have to say it is a vast improvement in this film, and I'm excited to see what Ezra Miller does next with the character. Yeah, definitely. But the thing that, that really struck me in this section, this this chapter, was Cyborg's story. Yeah, this is a uh, really... they Everyone hyped up. Cyborg is the emotional heart and core of the film, and now seeing it, it really does ring true. He is so much improved from the theatrical cut where he, like, just comes in on the street or something and then Wonder Woman recruits him and he, like, barely talks and does nothing. And in this film, he's just, like, so impactful. <clears throat> and his emotional story is really fleshed out so much. I don't even remember Silas Stone in the theatrical cut. I don't remember yeah. him having the car scene, the car crash scene, or the uh, the football scene. They could be in there, but I do not remember his story at all in the theatrical. It's... Yeah, I think the, the, the football scene is completely new. I think that was cut entirely. Yeah, so it's it's so much more fleshed out. Ray Fisher does great with it. The nature of the character is he's kind of like very stoic, so you can't really in- express a lot of emotion with some scenes, but I, I think Ray did the best with that archetype. And I uh, it's, it's really unfortunate that this is the last we'll see of him. For the time yeah. being, because I really think that there's a lot of potential here for this character. 
Definitely. I think Ray Fisher nailed it. I think Ray Fisher, I think, gave the best performance in the movie, uh, honestly, because... I would agree. It, I agree. We do, yeah, we don't get to see much of um, Victor Stone before he becomes cyborg, but in the few scenes that we do, such as him sitting outside the principal's office um, or him uh, at the football game or in the car with his mom, you can definitely see the 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 life and vibrancy that Victor Stone has before his accident, and Ray Fisher conve- conveys that perfectly. And then to have that contrasted with the sort of cold, removed, closed off version of Victor Stone after he becomes cyborg, it's just a it's a heartbreaking thing to see. And then it's also it's also re reaffirming to see at the end of the film when he pulls the mother boxes apart and he says that line that, you know, I'm not broken sort of thing. It was just such, so amazing to see that character on all the way through the end. Yeah. His character journey in here is so impressive. And like, even you would think most people will probably go into cyborg thing. Like, why would he be so damaged? Wouldn't it be cool to have a cool robot body and a bunch of superpowers, but unlike something like Superman or, or Batman or Wonder Woman or whatever, his whole like, body is deformed because of it especially in this interpretation of it. it's so much robotics and cybernetics and he just can never go back to his old way of life even with his mom died or even just how he looks and it's i love how they played up with the emotional complexities of having to deal with that while also being like super connected to tech and really yeah. in this new role he was he was definitely not just the tech guy in this film um and yeah, it's like the the scene, especially after he's he's demonstrated his compassion by by helping that woman win the hundred thousand um, dollars, and then immediately after that happens, as he's walking away from the ATM, you see people sort of like jump out of his way and give him dirty looks. So he can do these amazing things, but because he looks the way that he looks, and he can't change that, people perceive him in a certain way. And they don't see that, you know, the, the, the kind and compassionate person that he is under there. And seeing Ray Fisher portray that and seeing that, you know, influence the character of Cyborg throughout the film, it was it really was pretty tragic to see that. And then when he finally finds his place, you know, with the Justice League, who don't judge him for how he looks or anything like that, mm-hmm. it, it's just so great to see. It's It's... It's a character archetype we've seen a lot, but I, I feel like Zach just did the best with what the the whole. It's like a Frankenstein archetype, you know. And it could have easily just been like how Frankenstein turns evil and goes, or the monster, the Frankenstein's monster, goes down this dark path. It's um, it's great to see the the redemption and the heroic side of it, to see that perspective. And I just with Ray Fisher's performance and Zack Snyder's direction and all that, it it's the thing that was the most impactful out of this entire film. Yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely. I believe there's also Steppenwolf attacking Atlantis, or is that not yeah. this part as well? Yeah, no, that's that's this bit. That's this bit? Um, Again, I've, I've talked about the, the Atlantis stuff. I think everything of Aquaman just feels weird because we've already seen his arc continue in Aquaman, like 2018. So it just feels like a regression. I understand why, you know, like, because of the circumstances. But because of that, nothing with Aquaman really stands out for me. As, like, he's probably 
the character in the league that I, I feel the least about, even though I love his solo film for what it is. Yeah, I mean, when I was sort of going into this, I sort of put Aquaman, like the film, out of my mind and sort of tried to approach this from a, you know, like a pre-Aquaman, pre-Shazam sort of viewing. And and in that respect, it, it did work. I mean, trying to look at it all together, it is trying to like look at a puzzle pieces that don't, you know, fit. Um, but if you put, you know, the Aquaman film aside, I think the bits do work in this film. Um, as they were but yeah putting them together it does it does create the sort of jarring sort of difference i must say the reluctant hero is so much better than the dude bro we got in the original theatrical definitely and even like scenes that they add in that one like him on the lasso and again objectifying wonder woman in that way it's like they improved him a lot but I, i still just feel like it's a regression based on what we got and i understand you have to like distance yourself from that film. It, it's just hard though when you when you're that connected to this universe, you know. And especially with all the the weird minor inconsistencies with how like Mara's British or Aquaman talks about his mom leaving him really earlier on than when she actually does. Just like stuff like that, you know. Yeah, I I understand it could it can be hard to sort of like like separate it out. But honestly, if if you can if you can do it, it, it really does help enjoy this film. As a, as a complete piece. Yeah. Is there any other scenes in this part that you'd want to talk about? I, I have to say, though, that uh, Steppenwolf's fight with the Atlanteans, not as visually impressive as the Amazonian fight. But again, I've uh, I just talked about how the Aquaman stuff doesn't really hit me that hard. Yeah, no, it's, it wasn't as, you know, as as great as the um, as the Amazon one. But I... I think it didn't didn't have to be because we had the spectacle of the Amazon one. We didn't need, you know, like another 20 minute shot of him decimating the Atlantean Royal Guard or something like that. So mm-hmm. I, I was happy with it being more low key. But as to your, your question of whether there are other scenes of this, I think the only other thing that's worth mentioning is um, the introduction of, of Ryan Choi. Oh, yeah. This is another character that was, by the way, Iris was also cut. But Iris does literally nothing in this movie besides, like, say, a line and then get car flipped. So I hope she gets more to do in The Flash. But that's all to say yeah. about Iris. Um, but Ryan Joy is also a character. I, I, He was really charming. I, I, This is a character I understand why they cut. Like, I don't know. His scenes are not exactly essential from what I can think of. But he is a really nice addition to it. And it's, it's unfortunate that he got cut. And even Zach was talking about how he wanted to get a Ryan Choi movie with this guy in development, and it just never came to be. And I'd love to see more of him. I, I thought he's just a little minor character that works really well. Yeah, I mean, like like you said, there's not too much to say about this. I mean, comic fans will love the inclusion because they'll be like, oh my god, that's the Atom. But um, it's clear from this that when he was making the film, Zach had the idea that he wanted to use these characters for other things in the future. And this was supposed to be an introduction. Um, it wasn't supposed to be like massive to the plot. This was just supposed to be an introduction to Ryan Choi so that he didn't you know, come out of nowhere sort of thing. And as that, it really works. Um, the role could have been filled by, you know, nameless scientist number one. Um, and it wouldn't have changed much addition to the plot, but having it be, uh, Ryan Choi 
just helps with the world building um, and also helps with the sort of interconnectedness of the universe, which I really appreciated. Yeah, the only thing about Ryan Choi that I think worked like it's good that he's there is that um, did it, Silas didn't die in the original, right? I honestly can't remember. I, I think he might have done. I I feel like I should have watched it before to do this podcast in the comparison, but I really didn't want to. So I'm not going to, but I, I'll, most of my conversation will be like, did this actually happen or not? But anyways, I think Ryan Choi is important for that after scene of taking over Star Labs when Silas Stone dies. I feel like that works well instead of having nameless scientists. Yeah, I don't think it's... I just, I just opened um, the Wikipedia page for the 2017 Justice League. Mm-hmm. Um, and it says down the bottom that uh, the film ends with Victor continuing to explore and enhance his abilities with his father at Star Labs. So it looks oh, like it didn't kidding. die. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's worse. He, Cyborg had no emotional impact in the theatrical cut, and he just... Uh, we've talked about it. it. Just it's so much better. Yeah, it it yeah he it didn't work. Uh, and and in the theatrical cut, and it was just it was just disappointing. And this is just so much better. Yeah. So my my closing thoughts going out of this this third this first half, it's just I I took the half hour break and I'm like this is infinitely better than the theatrical cut. I love that this exists. There's so many standout sequences. I have minor issues, which I've I've said, but nothing really hurt the film that much. I just I had a blast with it, and I. It's really unfortunate that this never came to be back in 2017. Yeah, definitely. At this point as well, I took my little break, and I was just I was so caught up in it that I had to get back to it immediately. <laughs> um. So. Let's get into the second half. Part four, Change Machine. From what I remember, I, d- I don't remember this this stuff. I I think the Jim Gordon stuff was in this part. Uh, I think there's some more Steppenwolf stuff. Uh, yeah, so... There's definitely the, the part where they first meet up and decide to resurrect Superman in this part. But uh, let's, let's get into your overview. Yeah, so Change Machine. This is the one that opens with um, the scene with Commissioner Gordon. Um, uh, meeting them, meeting them on the roof, uh, and then goes to the whole um, Strikers Island sequence with um, the Nightcrawler and uh, the the battle with Steppenwolf. Um, because previously, I, we didn't mention it, but previously in the last uh, last chapter, uh, the uh, Silas Stone is, is captured um, and taken by by Steppenwolf um, and kept at Strikers Island. Um, so Steppenwolf comes to interrogate them, uh, mm-hmm. and then the mass fight scene ensues uh and also we get to see Desaad, um and we also get to see um the i think this is the the bit with the first martian manhunter scene yeah um first off i wanted to say i don't remember jim gordon's hair being white in the theatrical i don't think we saw his hair though he looks so much like the comics version i love that he looked like old jim yeah. gordon yeah this oh was... it was such a delight yeah saying saying that extended scene of him downstairs in the uh, in the, the GCPD precinct was was such fun. And you're right; he, he looked exactly like he does in the comics. And also seeing the um, the Easter egg of, of of Christmas Allen, the Spectre, next to yeah. him that was yeah. good. To see. That's also like it's like yeah, you could cut out the Jim Gordon scene, but like why would you? It's it's just it's great. I I love that. 
I love um the 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 gargoyle the scene on top with the the spotlight thing felt very similar to the theatrical cut. I thought Ray Fisher said Cyborg wasn't in that scene, but I guess he was. Yeah, I don't think he was in the theatrical cut. I can't remember. Oh, I swear he was in the he was in both versions. I thought he said he wasn't in the Snyder cut, and they added him in the Whedon cut. But anyways, it's it's a scene that doesn't really feel that much different. It feels the same. No, it doesn't. No, but the moment they get into Strikers Island, the whole thing feels very different. Yeah, that's one thing I'm going to have to complain about. I feel like I even maybe I'm wrong. I feel like the set pieces for these action scenes, but when it starts with this like strike where they kidnap uh, Silas Stone, that little set piece, as well as the final battle reactor core thing, they're so bland to me. And that's both versions. I feel like this actual set pieces, I understand why it's a broad environment and it's easy to show a bunch of different characters in it. I just feel like the, the set pieces just feel very bland. I think that's, yeah, I think that's, that's probably fair. I mean, uh, the, the Strikers Island scene is not, you know, it certainly doesn't pop with color or anything like that, but I thought it fit exactly with what they were trying to do i mean it was supposed to be an abandoned um abandoned processing plant um and it looked exactly like an abandoned processing plant and honestly as a base for steppenwolf to and his parademons to to kidnap scientists and interrogate them and not be found uh, it it seems you know logical that he'd do something like that um and also, I think the same logic can apply to the base in, in, in Russia. I mean, he establishes his dome, his, his setup, mm-hmm. where people accidentally stumble into it. So it, it feels, you know, it fits the story that they mm-hmm. are abandoned and sort of like washed out places. I mean, yeah, you can say that it, it's very much Zack Snyder's whole, you know, grim and dark sort of vision for it but i thought story-wise they both worked uh, that yeah you're right that they aren't you know majorly interesting set pieces but i thought that because the focus is the characters and the character interactions mm-hmm. it, it didn't detract for me i i think thematically they work very well i agree i just from a production design standpoint since i i do a lot of podcast films that i dissect from a, a technical standpoint and the filmmaking point of view I feel like the production design was lacking, at least to me. But that's just, it's something I get people would overlook. But for me, it was like, yeah, I don't, these are, you could make these more interesting with, while still having them make sense thematically. Yeah, I mean, you, 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 you're probably right. You probably could. Um, it just wasn't a, like an issue for me watching it. I understand. I understand. But anyways, that fight scene, it is so much better. I am so happy they removed that terrible Joss Whedon shot, um, shot of Flash like tapping the sword, but then he trips and causes Wonder Woman to trip. And again, it's just a terrible scene, if you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. That yeah, the one automatically the makes the scene like so much better. Yeah. And also, I, th- I think the interactions at the start of it are slightly more mature um i think in the in the in the whedon cut 
like the flash is is almost sort of chickening out about it uh yeah i remember that he was like i've never been in a fight before i don't know what to do and this one he like is actually competent while still being lighthearted. yeah and he's 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 helping he helps in the evacuation i mean yeah he is still um it's clear that he's still sort of new to this because he keeps going you know up and down the stairs sort of thing checking that people are okay and cyborg has to tell him like no we've got this it's okay um, so it's clear that he's still, you know, new to the whole hero thing, but it's very different in that he's, yeah, he's capable, he's competent, and he's able to, to, to still help and do all the stuff. Yeah, it's, it's baffling what they thought would be better to make it more lighthearted would just be to change aspects of the characters for no good reason. Yeah, and it's like it's 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 less that they chat like cut a bunch of stuff but they changed stuff that was for the worse like no yeah. improvements were made and it's just even stuff like that so this fight scene was really good it, it obviously is the same like basic structure of the the yeah. Whedon one but just everything is like slightly improved i do want to get your perspective though we are on part four right talking about yeah. and we have not mentioned bruce as a character in like a long time I feel like his character, I get why he's here. Thematically, everything makes sense. I just don't feel like he gets a ton with this cut or the the theatrical cut. He's obviously much better because he's not, like, landing on his ass and being like, oh, and, you know, bad stuff yeah. from the Justice League. I just, he does feel out of place to me. Uh, I, I, I didn't feel that. I felt that, um, I mean, you're right that at this point um, we haven't really talked much about him, but... I think he was integral to to putting every everything together. Um, and we had that scene. Um, oh, it's actually in the next part where where Alfred sort of confronts him and is just like, you, "You you did what you set out to do. You know, you put the team together. Um, you don't have to do anymore. It's not sort of like your place." Um, and it, you really see Batman's drive there. When he comes out and he, he basically says, you know, like I, I made a promise to Superman when he died that I'd do this. And you can really see that Batman's whole thing is that he he really screwed up in, in Batman versus Superman. And he realizes that now. And because Batman as a character is someone who's driven by guilt the whole way through. I mean, it's first it's grief that his parents died and then it's guilt that he couldn't save them. And then it's guilt that he couldn't save you know, Robin and all that sort of thing, whether it's Jason Todd in the comics or, or um, Dick Grayson here in the Snyderverse. Um, and so having Batman be further driven by more sort of guilt fits right in with his character. And then him having the resolution right at the end where he, he talks to Martian Manhunter out on the deck and you can see that he's no longer burdened by that guilt. He, he has achieved what he wanted to achieve and he feels sort of like released. I really think that was an important part of, of the storyline overall. It, in these middle bits of the film, it's less so. But at the beginning and the end, it's it's very apparent to me. I could understand that. I don't know. Maybe it, I feel maybe just me not feeling like Batman is a essential core member of this league so far. I get he for me. He starts the formation and he's the reason they all come together but just because of the power sets of the other heroes because of the threat they're up against because just how these action scenes are formed and he's very like on the side we're just solely relying on tech and stuff it's 
it feels a little out of place. I have always felt that with the the Justice League too, but I could say that he is vastly improved with character and stuff in this one. I just think like BVS does his character so much more than this film does. Well, yeah, that's 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 definitely true. I mean, when it comes to Justice League fight scenes outside of this film, I mean, like in, in the comics and 2004 series and stuff like that, Batman can seem a little out of place there as well. I mean, especially if you're, you know, looking at a fight against like Star of the Conqueror or something like that, where, you know, the whole Justice League is flying around, zapping him with superpowers and Batman's down the bottom with like a grenade launcher or something. He does often <laughs> yeah. feel a little out of place at different points in the comics as well. Um, but he makes up with, for that with his resourcefulness um, and, and his ability to adapt. And, and I think you see that in this film towards the end where he manages to, you know, take over Steppenwolf's cannons around his base sort of thing and use them against the enemy. And that's the sort of, you know, adaptability that, that makes Batman a survivor. I think... Like, you know, I've, I've said I've, I've appreciated BVS so much more after the release of this. If we get JL 2 and 3, which, again, we'll talk about later on, I think I could appreciate this aspect, this, like, section of Batman in the league more. Just maybe just because of... Because I, I, we know what's going to happen later on with his ultimate sacrifice in the sequels, or at least that was the plan. Yeah. You know? I, I feel like his, his arc isn't complete, so because he's not a huge focus in this film and his arc isn't completely completely done that's where i i, I feel like underwhelmed that makes sense yeah i could say that it's definitely not a complete story it's a it's a part of his redemption but it isn't the full thing yeah so other than that the the fight scene plays out pretty much the same i really like the water stuff again i've liked that in both cuts with aquaman um the, the Martian Manhunter scene is in this one. Do you, yeah. I I like that. I but what was the what was he trying to get Lois for again? He was trying to get Lois to to sort of come back to as he said the land of the living um because he saw that she was sort of drowning herself seems to be the wrong word but closing herself off from the world. He wasn't doing this for any, we need you back because we need you to save the world sort of thing. Okay, I, so that's what I was confused. I thought it was like a plot-related thing, but it's just for um, her character. That's a lot better. Yeah, Yeah. I, I, my interpretation of that when I was seeing that was Martian Manhunt was doing this out of compassion. He was trying to help Lois for Lois. Yeah, especially because they, they built up some connections over the course of the previous two films. So having Swanwick yeah. come back... It, it works really well. So that that scene, I like that scene a lot. I love it. I love his design too. People were like, okay. I saw some people saying it's better than the the CW version. I feel like they they're the same. Like they're both really fantastic designs. Just one's on a higher budget, but yeah, yeah it's, it's, I mean, it's it's. Sorry, I agree. I think they're similar. Yeah, so I don't have any huge things. It just it's great to see him on the you know on a film screen. Yeah, and I think it says almost everything you need to know about the character of Martian Manhunter straight away. Um, you get pa you, you get a, a glimpse of his powers that he's a shapeshifter, but you also get a glimpse of the one of the most important things about Martian Manhunter is his empathy and compassion for other people. 
yeah. in the comics, he's he's often he's the leader of the Justice League uh, because he's the one that can bring them all together. He's the one that always cares, that always looks out for for people as individuals, sort of thing. Um, and while they all might save the world, you know, he's he's one of the characters that would save you for you, you know. Um, and seeing that portrayed in his very first scene really told you everything you needed to know about who Martian Manhunter is. Yeah, when they first told me, though, that Martian Manhunter was, like, revealed to be Martian Manhunter in the Snyder Cut, I did not think we were going to get this much of him. And I'm really happy we did. I figured it would just be, like, a, a shot of Martha's eyes flashing red, and that would be it. Yeah, I didn't know if we'd see the full thing either, um, but it was so good to see. Yeah. Also, the original Martha Lois scene was actually Martha. Yeah, sex joke, and they're just like at the Daily Planet or something. That was so bad. That was another terrible scene. Man, I'm yeah. I'm really glad. Everything just even Lois's grief and stuff. It's minor characters get so much more hair, and I, I love yeah. it, man. I can sing nothing but praises for the characterization in this film. Definitely, um, but that's I think all that's sort of majorly dealt with in uh, in in chapter four. Um, Going into chapter. Oh, five. I haven't. I haven't talked oh, about you... Desaad real quick. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I wanted to touch on just a minor character that I really loved seeing. I don't know how I feel about the whole like melting thing of it all. It, it was a little weird, but in terms of just seeing Desaad on the big screen and having even him be like imposing, even though like we know Desaad isn't exactly the strongest new god. He's very like a a wormy skirmish type character. So even that yeah. is it's just cool to see how he has power over Steppenwolf as well. Yeah, or rather, he only has power over Steppenwolf because Darkseid has power over Steppenwolf. Like, Steppenwolf yeah. could you know, wipe the floor with the side any day, but because of the hierarchy that Darkseid has, has established, he's got to sort of pay fealty to, to, to Desaad, even though it's clear that he really doesn't like it. Right, yeah, so... That's the last thing. I know he was in a couple of these early segments, so I wanted to touch on that. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, we had had to talk oh, about that. Oh, wait, wasn't the the scene where they explained the mother box and all that in this as well? With yeah. Right the, I, yeah, right I also of- want to talk about that real quick. That's basically we get how the mother boxes work, and it really explains a lot of their mythology. I thought it was visually cool to see like Ray Fisher back in the old era and stuff. That was a cool visual representation of what the little history of it was and i just i I, i'm not a huge fan of MacGuffin type things but infinity stones mother boxes big event things like these i'm fine with i think it's cool yeah i think it's it, it works really well with comic stuff because you know that's just it's sort of like quintessentially a comic book thing that there's yeah. always you know, the magic amulet or something that, you know, comic book characters, superheroes are always fighting over or something like that. And yeah, I think it was handled really well in, in this film. Yeah, 100%. So that's that's about part four. Part five is all the king's horses. And I believe this is a lot of um, just reviving Superman. And I know Silas's death is also in this. But I think that's yeah. literally the gist of it. Yeah, so this is this is from what I remember. This is the the whole sequence 
of bringing Superman back. Cyborg has his vision. The ship says that the future has taken root in the present. The um, Silas dies, but sacrifices himself to trace the mother box location. And Steppenwolf has his vision of the anti-life equation and talks to Darkseid. So that was the one thing. So they didn't know when they first attacked in the history lesson that that was Earth? Oh, uh, no. So what, what I gathered from this, and I, I, my interpretation could be wrong, um, but what I gathered from this is when Darkseid first landed um, and slammed his mace down into the ground, that massive symbol appeared. My uh, interpretation is that that symbol is the sig- signifier of the anti-life equation. Um, mm-hmm. But then he gets kicked by Ares and gets dragged off the planet. And it's my interpretation that he didn't, he doesn't remember or didn't, didn't know what planet he was on when he found the anti-life equation. And so he's been searching, he's conquered however many worlds, 100,000 worlds, he says, looking for it again, looking for that one world, which, which beat him, which had the anti-life equation on it. And he's been spent all this time looking for what world that was, because that ties into Steppenwolf's line where he said, um, he says something like, the, the world that fought back, the one with the anti-life equation, it's this one. So they, it implies that they already knew about the world that fought back, and they already knew about the world with the anti-life equation. But in Darkseid's hasty retreat or whatever, they didn't know which world it was out of all the ones he was conquering. Um, and that was my interpretation, because when Steppenwolf has his vision and realizes that the anti-life equation is here, the symbol appears again, and he sees the symbol and then knows that that's the anti-life equation. So that was what I thought it was. No, that's a great interpretation. I really think that's what they were going for. It's, yeah, because also it's millennia ago, so it'd be hard to remember, especially after 100,000 yeah. worlds. Yeah, and, and he was hurt really badly. Like, Darkseid was almost bleeding out sort of thing. Yeah, so, but the, the gist of this, this part is really Superman's return. And I I like Superman's return. Um, I've I've heard things that would have been like, what if the villains brought him back and they tried to use him against the league, and that's why the Heroes Park scene would have happened, and then they could have brought him back. Maybe that would have worked better. But there's there's a lot of standout stuff here. The one thing I I do not like, I still think the Heroes Park scene does not work for me. Yeah, I think, I mean. Overall, I still absolutely love the film, 10 out of 10 sort of thing. But I, if I had to pick the weakest scene, would probably be um, that that confrontation at the park. Um, mm-hmm. But you still have um, that sort of weird scene with him, with, with Wonder Woman and, and Aquaman and all that stuff. Um, and while a lot of the extra bits from, from the Joss Whedon film that made it worse are gone, um there's a yeah there's a few bits like him sort of straight up attacking the army and the police and that sort of stuff that just feels just a little excuse me just a little bit off yeah it's i I don't know everything feels weird about it maybe it's it's gal's terrible delivery of kalel no to to just like the super slow down point where he just like grimly stares at the flash something something just feels off about this whole sequence i don't know if we needed a superman versus the league fight and it doesn't really feel fan servicey in a way that like like it's like unwarranted but i like it it just feels like a fan servicey thing that doesn't work 
Yeah, I think I, I can definitely see what Zack Snyder was trying to go for, which is the whole you've literally just brought a guy back to life. Um, and the last thing he remembers was he was in a massive fight for his life and then he died. So it would be sort of logical to assume that Hedway, if he came back, he would almost have after images of that fight still in his mind. He'd be on edge. He'd be ready to go. He wouldn't know where he is. And I, I understand that. But yeah, the delivery of it was, yeah, it, it was lacking a bit. Yeah, that's so that's my biggest gripe. But I, I like a lot of the stuff. I remember they excised Nightmare completely from this, the theatrical cut. So yeah. it's great to see, like, Cyborg get really cold feet after seeing all that. Or I don't yeah. know if he sees it, but, like, he feels it coming on or something. And so, like, they feel like they're making a mistake. I like how they're planting the seeds for future installments with that. I think yeah. Snyder is really great. Say what you will about the films, but in terms of, like, planting seeds to develop later on, even if it's just in the film or in a sequel film, I think he's great at doing that. Yeah, I mean, the world building is 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 truly amazing. Um, and, yeah, I think with the little bits that, that don't work so well with um, the Superman rebirth scene, I think Cyborg's vision that I, I guess the mother box is showing him or the shift is showing him because he's jacked into it all, um, that was just so sort of amazing and hearing that voiceover in the ship as the countdown is happening where it says um you know this course of action is irreversible and then straight afterwards when it's done it says um the future has now taken root in the present that gave me chills when i was watching that because i knew what was coming you know with with nightmare and all those bits that we've seen from it and just having it sort of like seemingly confirmed that that's all going to happen now it was like whoa yeah i think the big difference is that I've talked about how rushed Superman's death is. The death of Superman arc in BVS. It's completely rushed. I, I stand by that. Um, the, the the problem with the theatrical version was that because it's like a two-hour runtime and they bring Superman back like the midway point, it barely feels like he died. And they feel like they just yeah. rushed to bring him back. And they, they tried to hide it in the marketing too, I remember, because Superman was never in any of the posters or, or trailers or anything. And then they made it like this big reveal of, oh, oh Superman's back. But we all knew he was coming back, just based on how yeah. it was. This one works so much better because it also feels more impactful because they've added character and they've added like the nightmare stuff and just different perspectives on it. And they've all like even Barry was like talking about how Superman was his hero and stuff. Yeah, because he was the first one to really express himself of his powers and stuff. But because we're we're two to three hours in at this point in the resurrection. It, it lands a lot better. Stay, I still stand by the fact that the death of Superman in BVS was completely rushed and it didn't need to happen that early. That's a very yeah. bad thing to do when you're trying to establish a franchise. But this revival is perfectly earned and well done. Apart from the Heroes yeah. Park scene. Definitely, yeah. And then the, afterwards, there's just a whole lot of very touching scenes of um, you know Clark and Lois at the farmhouse, and and then meeting his mother again, and then of course um, I think it's actually in the start of chapter six, but also um, first flight two point as people are calling it. Yeah, the, I again just 
way better than the the theatrical cut. It's it's great to see, even though like the Christ allegory of Superman spreading his arms in front of the sun and being like I have risen and all that. It's like okay, a little on the nose, Zach, but it I I think Superman just works a lot better in this film too, for someone that doesn't yeah. have a huge presence in it. Yeah, that, and that's the thing. He's 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 basically not in it until chapter five. Um, and but still, when he is there, I was just so satisfied. I mean. I, I absolutely love Superman as a character, reading about him in the comics. I, I loved it when I watched all the the, the, the films, like the, the 78 ones and stuff like that. And of course, like I said, Man of Steel was my introduction to him on the big screen, but now it's just seen just everything about him. Um, him as a character, I just love so much. And so when we, he had that scene where he was walking through the ship and we had the voiceovers of, of both of his fathers, like his real father and his adopted father, and then when he just bursts new dialogue out, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was, yeah. Um, and then when he just bursts out through the ship up into the sky, um, I'll be honest with you, man. I I teared up watching that because I was just like, he's back. I was so happy. Yeah, it's so much more impactful. It's fantastic. I again, I've always talked about how. This isn't my favorite interpretation of how I'd want to see Superman. I love the the hopefulness and the optimism. But this is probably like the best I could get from Cavill's version. In terms of optimism and just like feeling like it's Superman and he's here and he's here to help the League and stuff. And it works so good. And I think dedicating a whole part to the revival of Superman was a smart choice. Definitely, yeah. Because then it just ends with um, with with Silas Stone's sacrifice, uh, where he kills himself to to mark the box, um, which I thought was really impactful for Cyborg's character, um, and it really shows afterwards how strong emotionally Cyborg is when he manages to overcome not just the death of his mother and his transformation into a cyborg, but also the death of his father too. Um, and he manages to, to, to push through all that emotion um, to still save the day at the end was just yeah. it was really amazing. I think the one thing I'd say is that because, you know, there's the whole misdirect of not knowing why Silas died and it's like revealed a little bit later on the, the, when he actually does die, it's a little like takes you out of it because you don't know why he's dying at first. Am I off base there? Yeah, I, I, yeah, when I was watching it for the first time, I I knew that he wasn't trying to destroy the mother box because they had that scene earlier when they said that, um, oh, you, you heat it up and it becomes a superheating conductor and that sort of stuff. So I knew he wasn't trying to destroy the mother box, but I was like, what is he doing? So, I, yeah, mm-hmm. I, was, I was really sort of more questioning than emotional about it. Yeah, so it did take me out of it, but like it's there's a really minor nitpick because immediately once I find out, I'm like, okay, and then seeing Ray Fisher's reaction. So it's, yeah. but I just wanted to touch on that. Before we get into part six, do you mind if I pause this again for another break? Yeah, sure. Let me get another glass okay. of water. Awesome. Okay, hello. We are back again for a little, I don't think we're taking any more breaks. So we only have one more big part to talk about. It's called Something Darker. And this is mostly just the climax, climax of the film with uh, the reactor plant fight and stuff. But would you mind giving us the, our final brief overview? 
Yeah, um, I mean, as you said, this is this is the climax. The Justice League arrives to um, Russia um, to Steppenwolf's base. They have their plan. Batman decides um, that he's going to take down the top of the tower, which ends up collapsing the dome, um, so that the rest of the Justice League can all get in, invade by by surface, and then they all break through. Um, they get to to the the center. Cyborg plugs into or tries to plug into the Unity, which is the three mother boxes, all fitting together. Um, and the Flash runs in a in a massive circle around the town, trying to build up charge so that Cyborg can upload himself into the mother boxes and, and break them apart. And uh, of course, this is a bit where Superman returns. Um, he goes to see Alfred first, and uh, Alfred basically tells him where to go, and Superman turns up, and they have their final fight with Steppenwolf, um, and obviously the League is the league is successful, and Darkseid's plan is thwarted. Yeah, it's, it, it does. It's the, again, the basic structure of the 2017 cut but this final battle feels completely different it's like a completely new third act and it's it's fascinating to see how much changed and for the worst too like that flash scene with the time travel is a standout yeah it's a standout sequence it's beautifully shot it's wonderfully done it's very well acted too by ezra miller it's it's just fantastic yeah, him there talking, like talking to his, well, talking to himself, but as if he's talking to his dad after, you know, Steppenwolf and Darkseid have basically won and the Justice League's been annihilated as he then turns back time and runs through the speed force to the, you know, the nexus of the event. It was, it was so powerful to see that. It was so amazing. And the fact that they decided to cut that, I just, I'll never understand it. And they replaced it with like that Russian family thing mm. yeah but um yeah because it was weird because dark side was like about to step out of the portal and i'm like how is this isn't wait dark side's not going to come out there's no way because if i if the time travel thing would have been the theatrical i would have been okay that so this is the part where the flash time travels but because we never knew that he was time traveling in the first place i was so confused when dark side was about to step out and fight the league i was like hold up aren't we a little far yeah it was it was brand new seeing this, and so I was, you know, on the edge of my seat sort of thing. You're right. We didn't know where this was going to go. Yeah, and then even other aspects like Cyborg playing a much bigger part and kind of playing the sacrifice play, or like it was it was kind of perceived to be. He didn't ultimately sacrifice himself, but um, just improving characters like that. Superman doesn't just come in and wreck Steppenwolf. I mean, he does, but like he's not like the main reason why they defeat Steppenwolf like in the theatrical cut. It's still a team effort. But then again, yeah. Superman comes in and wrecks Steppenwolf, and it's fantastic to see. And it, yeah, it's just, and you're right, it is a team effort. I mean, Superman arrives and, and saves Cyborg by, you know, having Steppenwolf's axe just slam into his shoulder and, and nothing happens. Um, but then he teams up with Aquaman and Wonder Woman to really give Steppenwolf the smackdown. Um, and that's just, you know, great to see. And it's, it's really interesting. I don't know if you if you picked up on it, you probably did. Um, but like where they fall through the floor, that was that room with those slanted windows was where the final conclusion of the 2017 version happened. And I saw that and it was only in this cut very, very briefly. And I was like, wow. So they really thought that, you know, that was the best place to end the 2017 film. 
Yeah, it's so weird, isn't it? Like, what, what motivates someone to change all this stuff for the worse? It's again yeah. that documentary we've talked about. It would be the most fascinating thing. I would, even though I don't like the guy, I would love to see Weed's perspective on why all this happened, or the studio execs, or just something. It 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 blows my mind. And yeah. Zack Snyder's interpretation is so much better. Yeah, I just want to sit Walter Hamada down and be like, okay, so. Why did you think to get rid of all of this? I thought you took control in 2018. Oh, did he? Oh, it might not have been him then. It might have been, uh, like, the the Jeff Johns, John Berg. Maybe it was Hamada. I don't know. Whatever happened, it's it's weird. It's uncomfortable. And Mm -hmm. I just, it's really happy. This third act, again, I've talked about the production design being kind of bland. I still think that. I still think, like, the, the nuclear city or whatever is not, like, something that really pops for me. But there's so many good action scenes and, and shots. Like, that shot of all of them, the one that they released where they're all, like, in their hero poses in the Batmobile. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, that slow motion shot. Oh, that yeah. was just so sick. A fantastic thing that they also cut. Um, Just stuff like that. It really improves. Again, I I love the time travel stuff. This is a much yeah. better conclusion. And a lot more <laughs> thematically, like, satisfying. Oh, definitely. And I was just going to mention that that one parademon who uh, is is seems to be much smarter than the rest of them, who figures out where to hit Flash as he's running. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was. I loved his little starring role, there, even even though he does get you know destroyed by Batman afterwards. I thought that was cool. Yeah, the touch on the parademons, real quick. Even them are more intimidating than the theatrical cut, which is like weird. But I know yeah. I know they're like a mindless army, but they're still more intimidating. Yeah, definitely. And then, of course, there's the, the, the biggest part of this is once, you know, once Deathmorph's been defeated and, and, and Superman's lasered off one of his horns um, and he's just sort of like lying on the ground feeling sorry for himself, um, Darkseid is right there with the sod next to him and Granny Goodness next to him as well. He is right there and they just stare at each other as Darkseid sort of like, it's very clear that Darkseid's weighing up his options, whether whether he steps through now or whether he bides his time sort of thing. It was just, that was such a powerful standoff. Oh my god, the scene where Wonder Woman chops his head off and it lands at Darkseid's foot. Like, yeah. Are you kidding me? Oh my, the violence was so well earned. I was, we were worried that the R rating was going to be, like, inaccessible to younger audiences, but... I don't think it was too much, and I thought it was just the right amount where I was like, this is so satisfying. Yeah, not not at all. I thought this was like, yeah, I was so worried about the, the R rating, but this was, yeah, it was perfect. They they used it in all the right places. It wasn't like Watchmen's gratuitous violence. It was where it needed to be. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's my closing thoughts on, on the final fight. I think that's all there really is to the, the sixth part. Right, because I know there's yeah. an epilogue we'll talk about. Yeah, there is the, the last thing in the sixth part is um, is obviously the uh, the scene with Darkseid where Desaad basically says, "I told you so." Steppenwolf wouldn't win, um, and Darkseid basically turns around and he says, "Yeah, you you didn't tell me that. You were right." So uh, pack up the fleet. We're going to travel there the old-fashioned way. Mm. Yeah, um, it, it reminded me a lot of Thanos's like. Fine, I'll do it myself. Line from Age of Ultron. Yeah, so I hadn't thought of that, but yeah, it does. It does seem to have a similar vibe. I wanted to run this by you though. Um, 
would you think Steppenwolf would have been the best villain choice, or do you think a character like possibly Calabac could have been a better precursor to Darkseid? I think um, I think Steppenwolf was was a good choice here, and an interpretation that they used here was pretty good. I mean, I, I it's funny you should bring up Calabac because I was thinking about Calabac um, after I saw the film the first time, um, and, and we saw you know Granny Goodness and stuff in it, and I was thinking. Where is Calabac in all of this? And and where are, you know, like the female Furies and, and Big Barda and all those characters as well? Like, are they, do they exist in this universe? What's going on? Um, and yeah, as a, I think the role could have been filled by Calabac as sort of like a tyrant or like a, a, a lesser conqueror who's eager to prove himself to his father, you know, runs around and, and ends up, you know, stretching himself too far and then gets, you know, beaten by the Justice League. Um, so I think that could have worked really well if it was Calabac, but I also think mm-hmm. it it works as Steppenwolf. Yeah, I I was just curious because Calabac seemed like an interesting option, but it would be a slightly yeah, different think, take. Yeah, I think if it had been if it had been Calabac who was there and Calabac who had died, who had you know had his head cut off by Wonder Woman, Darkseid may have stepped right through there and crushed Wonder Woman's head. Oh, yeah, for sure. But because this is Uncle and, uh, yeah, and Yardy. Yeah, Steppenwolf yeah. works for what it is. But do you, do you have any closing thoughts? I know the epilogue is part of the film. Do you have any closing thoughts on just, like, the basic structure of how everything was in this film? Yeah, I think the, the, the one thing I'd say is that going into it, I was, I was prepared for, a, you know, a four-hour spectacle of, you know, long takes you know, extra shots, sort of really fleshing it out. Um, but I still low-key thought that, oh, I really hope it's not, you know, bloated. I hope he doesn't, you know, bite off too much uh, too much more than he can chew like he did with, with Batman vs. Superman. And i got to say, coming out of it, it was perfect. He, he tackled just the right amount of, you know, story and plot, and I thought it was really well-paced. Um, and at the end of it, it did not, it still felt like a really long film, but it didn't feel like I'd been sitting there watching it for four hours, you know? Right. I feel like the big difference with this and Man of Steel compared to BVS is that they're not exactly adapting specific story arcs, you know? Mm. So, like, when he gets more freedom to just use the characters how he does, he yeah. is way more able to flesh out and really expand on them. The problem with BVS is that he was trying to do, like, Justice League setup but also Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns, but also Death of Superman, but also, like, a bunch of other stuff. And it was just, like, this mesh of stuff. And I think that's the problem with Watchmen a little bit, too, is that he took on a lot adapting that thing so faithfully, or trying to. And that's a little thing I have. But when he has the reign with the characters and not doing a specific Justice League or Superman story arc, I feel like that's where he's at his best with DC. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And I mean... I think this this sort of storyline in particular that he tackled in this film is um, especially lends itself to this sort of um, adaptation because Darkseid's you know conquering of Earth and his search for the anti-life equation they've done yeah I don't know ten twenty different versions of that in the comics um, and all the versions are you know reasonably similar we've had you know Darkseid War and we've had Jack Kirby's um, The Fourth World, and, and then we had Justice League Dark Apocalypse War, the, the animated film. 
and they're all you know different interpretations of what is essentially the same story which is dark side searching for the anti-life equation finds it and decides to you know destroy the universe or whatever and uh, and the justice league has to stop him but i think the story is loose enough that snyder was able to really take the bits that he liked and and come up with different bits and and really meld the characters in his own way to create what we saw and i yeah. think that's where it succeeds over like what you said about you know the dark knight returns and stuff like that and, and batman versus Superman. when i think about Zack snyder i understand he's a comic book fan but he is not great with adaptions i feel like he's better when he has basic templates and he's able to create his own thing because you look at his superman or you look at his batman or even like most of his characters, and they don't really feel like adaptations. They just feel like their own spin on it. And there's charm and appeal to that. And I wish he, in the future, if he does do more comic book stuff, he just does his own thing and continues to go down this road. Yeah, I, I hope that, yeah, if he does get the chance to do more stuff with DC, he adapts or tries to tell um, broader stories rather than particular ones. Yeah. So that's that's my um, epilogue is called a father twice over. This is kind of just showing a bunch of where the characters are. We see Barry get a job at the CSI, um, Victor mm-hmm. with his dad. Uh, I think there's what else is there? I you should probably give the overview because you just watched it twice. So <laughs> yeah, no, I don't mind. Um, yeah, so it's uh, it's Barry. Yeah, you're right. Barry gets his job and shows his dad centrist at. Um, the Iron Heights and um, his dad's overjoyed um, and Victor listens to the messages that his father left um, Arthur Aquaman um, sort of tells tells Volko and and Mera that he's off to see his father and then he will come and join them sort of under the sea um, and then Superman and, and 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 Batman are outside the Kent farm which has been brought back and, and Batman's given it back to to Superman, um, and then Lex Luthor breaks out of Arkham Asylum, talks to Deathstroke, and then Batman has his nightmare vision, um, and and then sees Martian Manhunter. Mm-hmm. The I I like I love pretty much every scene here. There's nothing that I really I dislike, but um, I think it could have been structured better. I would rather have it be like the fallout for these characters, like with Cyborg and, and Barry and stuff. And then have the Batman Martian Manhunter scene and end the film there. And then have the nightmare stuff. And maybe if you don't want to include it, I guess he included it because it was always a thing. But the Deathstroke Lex Luthor thing is setting up like a Batman movie that's never going to happen. But you can cut yeah. that if you want. But make those two scenes your post credit scenes, not just like sandwiched in between two actual Justice League main story segments. Yeah, I mean, overall, I I also really liked the ending as well. But I did feel that um, while I didn't have an issue with the Lex Luthor and Deathstroke scene, um, I did feel that the nightmare vision um, could have worked as a post-credit scene. Right, because I'm watching the movie the whole time, right? And I'm like, okay, so where's Joker? You, you yeah. made a big deal about Joker coming back. And then I see the end of like the montage, and I'm like, wait, there's 20 minutes left? What is going on? And and then it's like just these collection of scenes, which all are fantastic on their own. Fantastic. Uh, they're pretty great. I don't know if they're like groundbreaking, 
but um it just uh, the death stroke scene when it was a post credit scene it worked as a post credit scene and uh so does the nightmare stuff i feel like um he is has an adversity to post credit scene he never uses them mm. but I, I think it would have been for the best i actually think that if they had started off um if they or if they had put the the, the lex luther escape from arkham asylum earlier on in the film at some point uh i think that might have worked as like an interlude um sort of like what's going on while the heroes are off doing you know their thing against steppenwolf what else is going on behind the scenes i think it could have worked there i would disagree because it's kind of cool to see like the scene where deathstroke wants to kill literally kill bruce wayne to like another scene where in the future he's allied of bruce wayne I feel like that's a cool contrast to see back to back. Yeah, no, it does. It does look good like that. Yeah, but I was just thinking of where else they could put it. Yeah, so that's that's my huge thing. I thought the plot structure of the epilogue is kind of weird, but every scene I like, even though you know it's stuff like, um, we're never gonna see Henry Allen again. So the final scene is it sucks that that's the final scene. Or we're not. We might see Henry Allen, but we're not seeing Billy Crudup's Henry Allen. Is what I mean. Yeah. And uh, yeah. we're probably not seeing Ray Fisher Cyborg, so that's like a bittersweet ending. And even, like, I don't know how much we'll see of Cavill Superman again. So it's just it's stuff like that. It's like it's bittersweet. But as an ending that wasn't supposed to be a true ending, because obviously there's sequels, I think it works for what it is. Yeah, very much so. Um, especially given the stuff that's said by the ship just before they resurrect Superman, where, or, or sorry, just afterwards, where he says, um, where the ship says, yeah, the future has now taken root in the present, sort of seems to imply that this dream, that this nightmare dream that Batman's having is no longer a possible future. It is the future. Mm -hmm. And then those things that Cyborg saw in his vision, you know, like Darkseid wrecking um, Aquaman and, and Wonder Woman dead and all that sort of stuff, that is going to happen. And then my only assumption is that they they end up doing something like, uh, you know, Justice League Dark Apocalypse War did, where Darkseid wins, but but Barry Allen goes back in time to tell them, you know, to warn them beforehand. Yeah, if you read the plot structure outlines of Jail 2 and 3, which I don't know if you want to really dive into, just because there would be like a lot of conversation and we're kind of running along. So we might have to wait on that discussion. Yeah, we can always do that another day. Yeah, so we'll wait on that. But essentially, it was what it was kind of going to be. is like they're working a whole movie in the nightmare sequence to bring Barry back. And it would have been really interesting. And before I give final thoughts and, and rate it and, you know, end things, I just want to say it's like, as someone who went into this a few months ago, being like, okay, this is fun, but I don't know how much I appreciate Snyder and his Snyderverse. I now want to see the full thing complete. I just want to see what the vision was. Completely. Definitely. 100% agree. I want to see the con well, not the conclusion. I want to see the rest of the story. Yeah. And I would be fine if Jail 2 and 3 was the end of it and we never saw those characters again, but I'd like to see the conclusion. Yeah. So, completely um, yeah. Do you have any closing thoughts on this film? Just as a whole? Uh, yeah. Um, all I can say is that it it honestly blew me away. And having watched it twice now, I, I love it just as much 
um, the second time as I, as I did the first time. It's emotionally impactful. It does a unique interpretation on a whole lot of these different characters that I really appreciated seeing. And I'm also really happy that, that Zack Snyder got to finish his vision the way he wanted to. Yeah, that's my... I echo that. Again, I, I could... I cannot... As at, at this point, say it's like one of the upper echelons of DC films for me, you know, like I'd still put, for example, Birds of Prey and Shazam over it, but for own personal reasons. And I suspect when I rewatch it, I'll like it more. And I'll when I sit on it, just stayed upon it, maybe watch it again like you did. I'll like it more, but I still loved it. I thought it was fantastic. And and having criticisms and not being like a five out of five perfect does not mean that I take anything away from what this was. Yeah, no, I get that, but yeah, I just—it's so great that we, you know, we live in an age where we got to see something like this happen. We finally, this felt like a nerd's dream come true. We finally saw the Snyder cut. It definitely was. Um, so thank you for coming on, bro. I really appreciate having your comics knowledge and just having your your really in depth discussion on this film because I. I thought about bringing other people on, but I'm like, there's no one that could get a dissection as good as you with this film. So I appreciate you coming on. Thanks. I mean, I, I love I love talking about this, so I'm just happy to be able to do that. Yeah, hopefully we have you back for something. It'll probably be something DC-related because we're always talking DC, but e- even if it's just a normal movie, um, if you're up for it, we'd love to have you back on the show. Definitely, definitely. So that's all for us, guys. Thank you for listening this extended, really extended episode. This is like our longest one. I'll probably drop this early just because it's so long. But um, yeah, appreciate it. And uh, that's all for me. Goodbye.